Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and this week we're talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a 1971 musical adaptation of Roald Dahl's 1964 book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It is the story of a poor child named Charlie Bucket, who, after finding a golden ticket in a chocolate bar, wins a tour of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory along with four other children from around the world. The film was directed by Mel Stewart and written by Roald Dahl, with some rewrites by David Seltzer. It is starring Gene Hackman, Jack Albertson, and Peter Ostrom in his only film role. The budget of the film was about $3 million, and at the end of its initial run, it grossed roughly $4 million, making it a modest hit, but nothing uh, to write home about. Hmm. And it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, and Gene Wilder was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical, and they lost both to Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, I actually haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof. That's on my list. Yeah, I've never seen it either. The, the closest I've ever seen was you doing the that one song from it with the Brooklyn Players Club on stage. Uh, the Brooklyn Players Club. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> the Brooklyn. Oh well, it's a long title, so <laughs> I don't is, blame you. What is it? The Brooklyn Players Community Musical Theater. Yeah, Brooklyn Players Community Musical Theater. All right, that was pretty close. You yeah. made it seem like I called you guys like something crazy. I know. All right. So this movie is, you know, a big part of a lot of people's childhoods. But before uh, I get into my history with the movie, Masha, what is your history with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? So you like to swear that I haven't seen this movie before. And I will not blame you this time around. Because I do know that I've seen it before, but I did not remember (laughs) a lot of what I saw. I'm not surprised. You often say you've seen a lot of older movies. And then when I bring up anything about them you look at me with a blank face so (laughs) when i told you we were watching a musical and you looked at me like i was crazy (laughs) i was like yep she did not see this movie Uh, because it starts with a musical number probably five minutes into it (laughs) yeah i'm i can't believe i didn't remember but i do remember that the reason i did see this movie was because i watched it in class i think in middle school or something oh really yeah was it like one of those like end of the year movies yeah all right i was gonna say like what are they yeah (laughs) it was one of those like let's put a movie on end of the year Oh, okay unless it was like an english class where you read the book then maybe i would understand why you would watch the movie but right i've actually never read the book and I hate to admit it, as much as I've seen a million of his adaptations, I've actually never read a full Roald Dahl book in my life. Hmm. Um, what are you crazy. said? Many adaptations? Yeah, like most of his books have become movies at this point. Oh. So you know, he wrote everything from you know James and the Giant Peach to the Fantastic Mr. Fox. To, oh wow. To, to Matilda to the BFG. He wrote Matilda. Yeah. Oh my um, god. He's wrote like. And that's just like a short list. He's, there's, there's way more that he's r- written out there. Matilda's going to be on this podcast, by the way. Yeah. James uh, and Giant Peach, I was a fan of as well. Yeah. I uh, actually never saw it. <gasps> what? <laughs> no, I never saw it. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why. I wonder, was the movie Tim Burton? 
No. Um, the animation kind of looked. It, it had the same. I think it was the same animation company that did uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, which actually also isn't a Tim Burton movie. He just produced it, but uh. but everyone thinks it is. So yeah, it looks just like Nightmare Before Christmas in in terms of the style of the animation, mm-hmm. like the the I guess claymation you would call it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not know that he wrote the and he wrote the screenplay. You said I couldn't. Yeah, he wrote the screenplay for this movie. Um, and we'll get into it as we go on. But uh, they ended up hiring a different screenwriter to kind of like Finesse punch it. it up a little bit. Right. He, he's wrote some screenplays, like he wrote a James Bond movie and a couple other ones. But mainly, he's like a book author. He's not a he's not really a screenwriter right. per se. Admittedly, I usually don't look at you know the credits in the beginning of a movie, but I did notice that his, I saw that his name was in the opening credits as both the writer of the original book and the screenplay. Yeah. And coming off of just watching Holes together, it was kind of you know I, I, it was cool to see that yeah same the same kind through of same line thing. of yeah, yeah. the the original creator creating uh, uh helping create the movie yeah we'll go over the differences a little later but basically after they rewrote his script he became like he just like hated the disowned the movie he hated the changes they made and he like reportedly like went to his grave hating this movie oh no um so that's that's interesting that. so yeah it's not quite the same level of collaboration the holes guy had with uh, those people <laughs> well um, i guess it can't work out all the time but yeah. i didn't remember this being an actual musical I didn't remember any of the jokes. Like, I I think this might be just the first time. <laughs> I'll, I'll just call this the first time I'm watching this movie, though I do remember watching it when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's not insane that you would think you saw it because it's parodied, like, everywhere. And like, there's so many memes. Yeah, well, yeah, memes alone is a whole other segment. But even just, like, everything from, like, fucking Family Guy and Simpsons, like, so many shows... Do like a Willy Wonka style parody or something like that. Take a drink and you'll sink to a state of pure inebriation. You'll be tanked like the whole Irish nation. You know, even if you don't know the words, you know, you know, the oompa loompa doompa dee doo, you know, like everybody, everybody knows that. And I ate the candy a lot yeah. when I was younger as well. So. <laughs> uh, you were a Wonka head. <laughs> <laughs> you know those little balls in the box? Those little, those small purple boxes and nerds? they kind of, yeah, nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. those. So that's Sweet. my history. <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> yep. Thought you saw it, but you probably didn't. <laughs> I did. All right. What about you, Andy? <laughs> Did you know the main character was I, Willy Wonka? Okay, listen. But, I mean, can we just take a moment to note that this is your first kids movie? I, in parentheses, like your first... Yeah, for sure. I felt like I wanted to throw it in the mix uh, after you did Big Fat Liar and to a lesser extent Holes. Like, <laughs> Holes is a kids movie, but like, like Big Fat Liar was like... Mm-hmm. straight up the yeah. kids movie so i wanted to throw in one that i loved um just to kind of even out the the library a little bit appreciate that <laughs> and also i wanted to throw in a musical because you love musicals and i i'm indifferent on them like i like ones that like it's just it's a stupid answer but i like ones that i like mm-hmm. but i don't seek them out like i don't like i won't watch something just because it's a musical yeah like i have to you know just find it good so this was one that i knew would definitely fit my category this movie it's it's as old, like, my memory of this movie is as long as I've been alive. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't remember, you know, seeing it for the first time because I was so young. 
but I just remember it being in my childhood a lot. I don't know why I remember this, but my first two ever DVDs were this and The Matrix. I know Kung Fu. So, I mean, I was already like 10, 11 at that point, so I'd definitely seen it growing up, and I, I it had to have been on TV. I mean, we didn't have it on VHS, but the movie got played on TV a bunch, and just like, uh, you know, it's I just kind of cut it from there, but I remember like there was so much aspects of like children's storytelling that I was like seeing for the first time like just kind of like a lot of the the characteristics of like the the bad kids and like the things you know it, it's very mm. like on the surface it's not a very complicated movie but when you're like a kid they make it they they take it over the top so it like sticks with you so I remember like oh you know you don't want to be a brat like the one kid you don't want to mm -hmm. be greedy and eat all the food like the other kid you don't want to be gross like the the gum chewer you know right and so like it's very simple but I remember those just like sticking with me like as a yeah. kid growing up the songs have always been like in my head is timelessness and that but I will say like I was a little like only a hair nervous picking it this time because I don't watch it that often and I haven't seen it probably since the days of owning that DVD in like 2001 2002 mm -hmm. and I don't have it anymore so I don't even know what happened to it so I, I haven't seen it in close to two decades. So this could have been a love what I love. Oh yeah, there was a chance. So it was so nice to see how fucking funny, especially the first like 30 minutes were. The whole movie's funny, but the first 30 minutes is like, in my opinion, just straight up adult humor. <laughs> like it's not, like I remember not liking the the beginning of the movie as a kid because I just didn't like, like I got the plot, but I didn't really, Understand. it just felt like we were wasting time. Mm -hmm. and, and this was the one chance where I did pull a, a Masha a lot where I would always just skip to when they got to the factory. <laughs> so I'd pop the DVD, like I'd pop it in or like if I was on TV, I would like switch to another channel, wait till they were at the factory and then come back. That's and I would just hilarious. always watch the movie from then on because that's like the magical stuff, you know. But now this time, like I was actually almost not bummed when we got to the factory, but I was like, this is so funny. And not even in like, a, oh, that's cute for kids, like funny, funny <laughs> stuff in this movie. And I talked about this on the Spirited Away, but like I see this as my favorite definition of a family movie where the family can enjoy it. It's mm -hmm. not just a kid's movie. I, I'm, you know, I, you know, I don't know how you, how you felt because we haven't talked about it yet, but I was loving it the other night and mm -hmm. we have no children in the room. We're just two, two adults watching this movie. <laughs> so I think it's just a perfect example of like just a family movie you yep. know it's i wouldn't even call it a children's movie that's awesome oh um i guess i ask you i mean i, I probably assume the answer is no since because i feel like you would have said it but have you ever read any roald doll books um i have not no yeah, yeah. i i do want to read i do want to after watching this movie actually yeah, yeah. like i am very curious to know what the charlie and the chocolate factory book yeah. experience is like um yeah and i got some uh like compare and contrast like i kind of oh, looked nice. up I, I looked up a lot of the stuff because i'm probably not gonna read it but um yeah i'm kind of them they never read any roald doll because he's honestly i think his reputation is up there with like dr seuss in terms of his impact on children's literature mm -hmm. like there's a reason his movie like he gets adapted as much as like stephen king does you know like it's it's really <laughs> he's like the stephen king for children's I, books i mean yeah because all his movies are all his books his stories aren't afraid to get dark and weird and you know like mm -hmm. potentially kill kids and stuff as as this movie has showed us so yeah i think he uh, the, the stephen king of, of children is definitely very apt for wow. roald Dahl. i i think i'm i'm gonna go back and read one or nice. two of them i mean you probably start with matilda if i think oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i'd be curious to know how that book is because we've Obviously, we've seen the movie a bunch. We've also seen the play on Broadway, mm -hmm. um, which turned it into a musical, a really good one at that. But there was no music in any of the original stories, so I'm curious as to like how it changed in between the three versions. Right. Because it was pretty faithful to the movie. 
when even with the songs, like, you know, like in terms of how it plays out. Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. When did he pass away? I think 1990. Okay, so he didn't live to see the musical come to life. He didn't live to see the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, he died in 1990. He was born in 1916. Oh, okay. So he was pretty old. Oh, wow. 1916. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I was caught by surprise at how much humor was in this movie, I will have to say. And yeah. we're going to talk about it more, but I was not expecting to actually laugh at jokes you yeah, know like, like really well written <laughs> well timed jokes and well delivered yeah yeah uh, so cool i already shared that i picked this movie because i wanted to throw a kids movie into the mix and the main reasons i thought you would like it uh outside of the obvious that you love musicals so i was just like my odds of getting mosh on board are pretty pretty <laughs> high because i really like the music in this but also and just like the general themes the movie teaches you and kind of like you know emulating the actions of charlie over the other kids and and the reasons you know i know you're kind of you you would you would enjoy just the overall message of the movie i, th I think mm -hmm. so that's why I, I picked it and why i think you'll love it so as usual you know i have tons of fun facts on this movie i kind of mentioned before how it didn't really make a lot of money and honestly critical reception was like kind of split down the middle hmm. uh like roger ebert gave it four stars he loved it but a lot of other people it's funny because I was reading some old reviews that were written back then, and some of them were like, you know, the first half of the movie meanders too much, <laughs> and it uh, it takes too long to get to the factory, and then it gets pretty good after that, but overall it doesn't really work as a whole movie. And then another, the next review was like, the first half of the movie was so fun and exciting, and the buildup was really good that when I got to the factory, I couldn't help but be let down. So that's so interesting. So it was really just split down the middle, like you know, it wasn't. It was there was no like overall like this is great, this is not. Um, and and it, it's funny to hear some, you know, because obviously critics are adults, so the fact that the first 30 minutes didn't resonate with them is interesting yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is funny because you would think the the more childish aspects of it would be something <laughs> that they don't like. And then, yeah, so it wasn't until probably like a decade or so later when the TV rights started getting sold that the movie just like started getting ratings after ratings after ratings. And obviously now in its the run of its life of re-releases and home video it's made more than four million dollars mm -hmm. but yeah in the original run it only just made its money back it didn't quite like make it into a massive hit or a franchise or anything mm -hmm. like that they were actually they wanted to make a sequel to it but Roald Dahl wouldn't allow them because he wrote he wrote mm -hmm. a se book sequel to it. So he was like, I'm not selling you the rights after what you did to my first movie. Oh. Um, and then they tried to write their own script, but it still involved getting the rights from his uh, estate. Woof. And that never happened. And like, I don't even think the remake with Johnny Depp would have happened if he was still alive. You know, like it was like they were able to get the rights after he died, but he was just so like taken aback by this movie that I'm he didn't want to do that I'm so one. interested to hear what his issues with the movie were. I can't wait till you tell me. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly not too... I mean, I guess I could just go into it now before we start going like into the plot and the nitty-gritty of the movie. But the main thing was... And I will say, I did also watch the Johnny Depp remake after this, cause after we watched the first one, because I had never seen it before. Mm. Well, the less we say about it, the better. <laughs> You're really weird. But the one thing I will say about it is it's technically more faithful to the book than this one is. Hmm. Um, and they probably did that in an effort to, A, just make it a different movie than this, but also to like 
make his family happy and the estate because they were mad how much this deviated from his book. Absolutely. That's probably how they got the rights. Yeah, I think so. So in the original book, it is technically a musical, but the only time they're singing is when the Oompa Loompas come in and they they sing their little songs every time one of the kids gets in, in trouble. Okay. So he just didn't like the fact that they turned the whole movie into a musical. So he didn't like any of the added songs, the you know, Pure Imagination and Candyman mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So he was upset about that. He was upset at the change in the title. He didn't like that it was called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh. And I guess he found the ending to be too sappy, even though his ending was kind of a happy ending, too. So I don't really know what the what his problem was with that. So there wasn't too much like craziness. Oh, and also he lobbied for a certain actor. Spike Milligan, I want to say. I looked. Up, I never heard of him in my life, but I, he's a British comedic actor. I just found him in my research. Mm-hmm. And when the studio said no and went with Gene Wilder, I think he just kind of soured him right from the beginning where he was like, that's that's not how he envisioned Wonka oh, in his head. Oh, interesting. But I don't know. Gene, Gene nailed it. Oh, the I mean, role, in my opinion. For someone as talented as a performer as he is and for all the amazing movies he's done, like I think this will go down as one of the most memorable things he's ever done in his mm-hmm. career. Like, character he played. Yep. Yeah, he embodied it. I feel like those are not very... I understand the changing of the title. Yeah. I actually have an opinion on that. I do think that it should be called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You do? Yeah, because it is about Charlie at the end of the day, at least in this version of the movie. Yeah, it focuses on Charlie a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree. Uh, we were actually... Because you, you caught me watching the remake, so you watched for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we were laughing how the remake uses the original title, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but they add all this crazy backstory for Wonka. Yes. It's also not in the book, so that was just made for that movie, I guess, just to try and flesh him out a little bit more. Okay. Uh, where you see him as a child, and his dad was a dentist, and that's why he loves candy and all this shit. Oh, I had walked out of the movie by then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It was kind of stupid. I didn't really like it. Yeah. It was kind of like when you learn about Darth Vader in Star Wars. It just takes away the mystery of it all. Yeah. So I don't think we need to learn about Willy Wonka's past. But yeah, he was a kid with like braces. So his dad wouldn't let him eat chocolates. And then he goes and eats chocolates. Is it even... I don't know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, that movie, they used the original title to be more faithful. But because of all that backstory, that movie's way more about Willy Wonka. He kind of yeah. he kind of goes through an arc and learns a lesson by the end. And Charlie's <laughs> just kind of there helping him along. So yep. it's hilarious that... The one titled Willy Wonka is more about Charlie, and the one titled Charlie is more about Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah. It's a goddamn head spin. But yeah, I agree. And the only, the main reason that I was able to find that they changed it was, so they got, this movie was entirely funded by Quaker Oats. Oh. Uh, they, they fronted the entire $3 million budget to get it made. It's so random. Yeah. And they were at the time looking into expanding into like chocolates and candies. And this oh. book, the book was a pretty big hit. Like, it wasn't like this movie came out and made the book popular. Like, it was already, you know, generally audiences knew who Willy Wonka was in the Chocolate Factory. So they, you know, worked it out where they would start producing Wonka candies after this movie. You know, so they were like, we'll fund this movie. You know, we'll get some of our candies in. That's why, like, things like Gobstoppers are in there. Like, stuff that's already trademarked. Right. So they funded the whole movie. And then... From all accounts that I could see, it's because they were going to start really marketing Wonka candy bars and Willy Wonka candies that they just wanted the title to be Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I see. So it would be more on people's minds, even if they haven't seen the movie. You know, if you just hear the title Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it's about a candy man. You know, so, right, right, right. So if they called it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they just felt like it wouldn't have. You know, they might not have sold as many good as many candies. Mm-hmm. And it also in that they got the name, like they they were they got the trademark for Willy Wonka and, mm-hmm. and the rights and all that. So it was it was more 
I mean, I hate to say it because I love this movie, but it was kind of more of like, let's make a commercial for our upcoming yes. candies yeah. as opposed to, like, let's make a great movie. I can see how, you know, he'll, he could be, I, I could, what's his name? Who? The author. Roald Dahl. I could see how Roald Dahl could be upset about that. Like oh, yeah, that for whole sure. scenario. Yeah, I mean, um, his shit is very, it. like, anti-establishment and, like, all this other stuff. So, I, I imagine he just, he looked at it as, like, a sellout right. move. Yeah. So, in from my perspective, it just seems like he had created this thing that he's obviously passionate about and close to. Yeah. And then, you know, all these, like, corporate and, like, people telling him what to do and how to manipulate it. Oh, for and sure, just, for sure. I can, yeah, I, I see why he was upset. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm not trying to. I wasn't trying to paint him as the bad guy. No, like, no. He hates the movie, and I love the movie. But it's more just. No, I I know you didn't. I'm yeah. just saying, like, I I kind of wish that he had at least before he passed away, just could appreciate. Because I think the music that was added was awesome. Yeah. I um. Love it. So I I kind of wish that he came around and was able to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, kind of like how in Warriors, that actor like was like, "This movie sucks." And then, you know. Yeah, he kind of turned around. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, most of the other changes from the book are pretty minor. Like, if I remember, I'll sprinkle them in as we get to those parts on the plot. But okay. it's a lot of little stuff, like Charlie's dad is d- not dead in the book and things like that. But like, I don't think it overall affects too much of the story. Mm-hmm. And then some stuff they were changed literally just from like a filmmaking special effects purposes, where it just like, you know, they had to go with what they had at the time in 1971. Right. And I I think almost every special effect in this movie holds up incredibly well. None of it, I'd look at it and go like, oh, yeah, they probably could have made that better if they right. had more. Like, I think the, the how creative they got with everything was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that they knew their limitations um, and kind of were like, yeah, well, we can't do an army of squirrels, so <laughs> we're going to change it to geese. Like, that's one Is of there the, an actually an army of y- squirrels? Yes, exactly. Oh, my God. So they were like, you know, then you can't make animated squirrels in 1971. Or, I mean, you could, but it would look like a cartoon. Is there an animated version of this movie? There's a 2017 animated version that's a crossover with Tom and Jerry. <laughs> which is fucking weird. Necessary? Nah, it's weird. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it, but I kind of like saw a YouTube video where they were kind of like going into it and showing you some scenes. And it's just an exact remake of this movie, but just Tom and Jerry are there also mm. like doing shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like getting hit in the butt with wooden planks and like running around. All right. I was never a fan of Tom and Jerry. <laughs> I was, but that, was, that just seems like a weird... Yeah. Uh, a weird thing yeah, to make. Yeah, <laughs> it seems just unnecessary. It's called Tom and Jerry colon Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But that's the only animated one that I know of. Maybe there was some kind of something else that I never... Okay, did. it just seems like something that would translate well to an animated For sure. Uh, version. I mean, you could argue the Tim Burton one's like 60% animated because mm-hmm. none of the sets are real and all the special yeah. effects are fucking... Johnny Depp's face isn't real. Yeah, I don't know what the hell is real. <laughs> I don't even know if I was real when I was watching it. I thought I was it fading out of existence. <laughs> I was dazed and confused watching <laughs> Willy Wonka in the chocolate. At one point we were watching it, it, some weird ass shit was going on. He was like eating caterpillar guts and I was like, what the fuck are we watching? Yeah. Like, like how far? And I know this maybe was in the book, but. Nah. Why was Johnny, why was Willy Wonka in the Johnny Depp version? Like, why was his skin color different from everyone else's? Did they ever explain that? I think it's just because he never left the factory. So he was so pale because he never gets sunlight. Oh, but he didn't look pale. He looked. 
I don't even know how. I mean, it looks. if you're asking me to defend the movie, that I don't even like. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna. Yeah. It anyway, bad. I just have so many questions. <laughs> I know that fucking remake was. It, it threw me off my guard. I was so ready to talk about this movie, and I was like, let me just check out what they did in this remake. <laughs> and you watched I, the whole thing. Now I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and it was two fucking hours. The one we watched is like 86 minutes. Yeah. Like, in and out. It's all that goddamn teeth stuff. I think we can have like a whole section about talking yeah. comparing those two movies so. i just find it funny like so many people who are more book readers than movie readers are always like i hate when they adapt stuff because it's so different but like i think we've proven a lot with exceptions like holes is an exception and the first harry potter is an exception but movies are very different than books and mm-hmm. you have to cut things out and change things around to make it work as a movie mm-hmm. things that work in books like books can deviate they can get real weird with it you know i just read it it was fucking what was it 1300 pages it was yeah. a good book, but I think the especially it chapter one just did a really good job of cutting out the extraneous. Like I didn't need, you know, they got Pennywise like in cowboy times, like haunting people, and I was like, yeah, if the movie just stopped and showed me cowboy times, I'd be like, yeah, this, this movie has no direction. So as we go into the changes, I think almost all of them make this a better movie. Mm-hmm. Not saying he wrote a bad story, but when you just adapt it literally, there's just just too much sidetracking. Right. Like you're not you're not focused on a singular narrative like yeah. you need to be in a in a in a straightforward movie. Right. When you watch a movie, you have that dedicated amount of time, right? So you need to fit all you can in that like one one and a half to two hour, two and a half hour range. Yeah. When yeah. you read a book, it, you you don't really have that limitation of time. Yeah, you might have a whole chapter just from a weird character's perspective that wasn't in any of the other books and it works. Right. But in a movie it just seems aimless. You're yeah. like, wait now Yeah, sorry. One more remake gripe. <laughs> There were three different narrators in that movie. Oh, my God. The first narrator started, and it seemed lazy as hell. And then all of a sudden, it switches to Grandpa Joe narrating, and then Willy Wonka's narrating. And that's that movie is just all tell and very little show. And it And sometimes me. all tell and show. Yeah, sometimes they would tell you something, and then it would just happen immediately after. And it was just like, man, we could have cut a solid, beautiful 12 <laughs> seconds off, and the movie would have been better. Um, oh yeah yeah i didn't like anything about it all right <laughs> i think that's enough kind of background stuff uh, that, that might be a future hate what i hate yeah, but I think I, you already be. know that i hate it too yeah so, so that one's hard though i didn't watch the whole thing so yeah oh i gotta watch it again though that means oh well. <laughs> so yeah i think uh there's plenty to plenty of other backstories and i'll be happy to answer any questions about differences of the book and behind the scenes but uh, i think we should just hop right in and start talking to this plot uh, and then a little spoiler-free discussion. <laughs> Movie opens up in an unnamed town, which I really like. They filmed it in Munich, oh. in Germany. So the whole film was filmed in Germany because the production said, literally, and I quote, nobody knows what Munich looks like. So they wanted to pick a place where you couldn't fully pinpoint, oh, I know where that is. You That's know? hilarious. And they made it in America, you know, just because they wanted to show how like worldwide the phenomenon of loving Willy Wonka was. Hmm. So it is an American town, even though none of the houses look American. Yeah, it looks European. I was very shit. confused. But I do like that they never named the town just to kind of make it like, you know, it could be from anywhere depending on where you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we got this, you know, little little poor boy Charlie Bucket. He's looking on uh, in the candy store while all these kids are are sitting there buying their candies and the guy sings the first song, The Candy Man Can. Great song. Yeah. I, I was actually surprised because I thought the song was older than the movie, but it's not. It just blew up after the movie like sammy davis jr made a version of it and it just like became like covered all the time and like a classic but it was so old like to me it just seemed like it was like an older one that they adopted for the movie but now they wrote it for this i i I thought it was a very fun 
first song too and established the world pretty well of like everyone loving Willy Wonka and loving his candy. Yeah. When he was singing the song and giving all the kids the candy that they came in to buy. Yeah. I was like in my head, I don't see any, you know, cash transactions happening. Oh here. yeah, for sure. That's what makes it so funny that like Charlie's watching from the window and like it's supposed to show that he's poor so he can't go in there, but like it's, it all seems like free candy. <laughs> exactly. Like he's just tossing candies into the air. Yeah, he tosses it in the air. I'm like, fifty percent of that is on the floor yeah. right now. You think after he's done, he's, like, sweeping up, and he's like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why am I throwing candies on the floor of these savages? Another favorite part was how much it may- reminded me of the Bodega Man can. Oh, from SNL? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a parody of it. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, but it just r- reminded me how good that parody was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love John Mulaney and SNL is perfection <laughs> he just needs to write a whole musical that's just parodies right exactly. i would watch that a hundred percent but yeah that was a great song he used to push those sketches a lot when he was a writer there but they never got approved because like you know he they just thought it would be like too expensive and like this and that <sighs> so it wasn't until he because like it got famous enough to come back as the host that he was able to make those happen oh because they are gosh. by far the most expensive snl skits they do like in terms of just set dressing and changing and costume, stuff. Yeah, yeah. costuming. So I find that really funny. <laughs> Where he has, he's had that idea for so long. Like, yeah. And now we've gotten three of them. Oh, it's awesome. Who can sell you condoms? <laughs> An Arizona iced tea? A Lucy cigarettes and plantain chips? The Bodega Man can. <laughs> well, the Bodega Man can. But yeah, this guy's peddling his diabetes to the, ta- to the kids. Just throwing candies all over the place. <laughs> and it's pretty fantastic. And then, yeah, this whole first chunk of the movie is where I was talking about. Like, I do think, because Gene Wilder, is, his comedic timing is so good on everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying the other half isn't funny. But I was just so surprised that all these, like, everything from Charlie's school teacher to then you find out that basically Willy Wonka is holding a contest where he put out five golden tickets in his candy bars. And, uh, you know, whoever finds them gets to do a tour of his factory, which no one's ever come in and out of. Right. And I love the the sinister tones, like, in the beginning. Like, remember, Charlie's looking at the factory, and he's kind of amazed, and then that guy comes up to him, and, like, all of a sudden, it becomes almost like a horror movie. Yeah. Where, like, it gets real dark, and he's just like, oh, yeah, that place is a bad place. No one goes in, and no one comes out. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I've said it on, on other episodes, and I'll say it again, you gotta scare children. I think <laughs> I just... If your movie is like too safe, in my opinion, it doesn't it doesn't resonate with kids. Like they might like it, you know, they might love, you know, like a Trolls or something like that. But for me, growing up, the movies I always remembered the ones were the ones that weren't afraid to scare yeah. the shit out of me from time to time. You don't need to you don't need to go over the top. I'm right. not saying sure your kids the Exorcist, <laughs> but when you have a kids movie, when you have a never ending story, when like it sticks with you. Yeah, like you remember it because it it's scary. Like you know, you're not used to being scared as a kid. You're watching very very safe programming. Right. So I loved the kind of just sinister overtones of this entire story where you don't know exactly what's up with the factory, what's up with Willy Wonka, does he have motives, you know, it's like... And I would even go further to say the aspects of, like, being poor, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, they really don't shine, like, they they don't don't sugarcoat it at all. Yeah, it's not like Annie where it's like, the you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. It's like, no, they're poor. (laughs) Yeah, they're poor, and I love that Grandpa Joe is the only one who's, like, still holding on to a little bit of optimism. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the one who encourages Charlie that, like, you have a chance to get this ticket, and I like that the rest of his family have just been so beaten down by poverty in their situation. Right. Where they're like, you're just getting his hopes up. Like, we used to have hopes exactly and it got us nowhere and so 
you know, because they eat cabbage water. That's the only thing they could afford to eat. Like mm-hmm. when Charlie gets a little money, they get a piece of a loaf of bread, and that's considered it's a feast. A feast, yeah. You know, for five people, no, six people, mm-hmm. and you know, so it's they really don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. And I remember like thinking of the importance of that money. Like you know, he uses he has just a little bit of extra money. Well, I guess yeah. We go into like he's got he's got four basically like invalid grandparents where they all live in this like nightmare bed, where, <laughs> where they, it's one bed. bed. It is. It's it's one bed where they they sleep feet to feet and never get up. They apparently, haven't gotten up in twenty years. So yeah. I imagine they got bed sores and. Fucking... I was gonna ask, how did they go to the bathroom? Oh, I don't know. I did see a bucket under the bed when he was like yeah. looking under. I think under those the bed are answers we don't want to know. I think I think they're all pooping and peeing uh, right up the side smell of the bed. In there. Yeah, I don't even know if they're changing their outfits. Yeah. So yeah, none of them are working. The mom's, you know, seems like she does laundry for something. That just seems like to be her job. Yes. She's like a laundry doer. And then you know, Charlie's launder. Like, <laughs> that sounds like someone who's laundering money. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> a launderer. <laughs> so you right off the bat, you kind of just see Charlie's like good-hearted nature, where he's this kid. He takes a job while all the other kids are just having fun eating candy. And right. then th- when he gets paid, he uses the money to buy bread for his family, and then gives the rest to his mother. Like he doesn't yeah. have he doesn't have a greedy and his bonus. grandpa. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he keeps a little extra to give his grandpa for tobacco, which is like a total non-necessary thing when you're poor. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and then, you know, the grandpa luckily doesn't take it and kind of right. shows a good example for him. I really love the kid who plays Charlie in this movie. Oh, yeah, I think, it's honestly one of my favorite, like, childhood performances. He's so great. I, did he go on to do more things? No, this is the only thing he's ever acted what? in his life. Yeah, he quit acting right after it. No! He even turned down a five-picture deal, apparently. He just didn't want to be a professional actor. So, uh, yeah, he went on. I think he became a veterinarian, I want to say. But, uh... Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I love him as Charlie. Like, he's... You know, it's it's very easy for kids to become annoying in a thing. Yes. Uh, well, if they're written... Like, a lot of the kids in the movie are written to be annoying, so it makes sense. But sometimes they try to go earnest, and mm-hmm. then you're just like, man, this kid... But I love it as much as I put it up there with, you know, Haley Joel Osment and The Sixth Sense. Like, right. I, it's one of my favorite kid performances I've, I've ever seen. Man, him and the woman who played Matilda as a kid, too. Like, yeah. I don't know. Certain kids just touch your heart and you're like, I feel for you. Yeah, yeah. In a movie. Oh, yeah. So, like, I loved, you know, the good-hearted nature of him right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, and and he had my dream job as a kid. I wanted to be a, a paper lady. Oh, really? Riding my bike. Paper lady. <laughs> uh, throwing newspapers at people's door. You know. Yeah. Andy knows this, but I'm, like, obsessed with, like, suburban life and chores sometimes. <laughs> uh, like, mowing the lawn is so fun to me. That's crazy. I wanted to, like, throw papers on people's doorstep and r- with my bike. Like, there are just certain things for some reason. And it's, it's totally because of the movies that yeah. I watched. Yeah, in um, reality, having a paper route means getting up at 5 a.m. Right. And making sure all the papers are delivered before the sun comes up. It's, yeah. It's kind of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's Charlie's job. Uh, that's how he makes his little bit of money. Yeah, yeah. And Roald Dahl is British, and in the original story, they were in England. Mm. And maybe it's just because they use a lot of British actors, but the vibe of the humor is very British to me in this. Mm. It was it was a lot of just, not dry, but like, like deadpan deliveries, 
like not over the top, especially in the 70s. Like we were physical comedy as a motherfucker in, in the States. <laughs> So I just like a lot of the humor just made me feel like I was watching like classic Python mm. and stuff like that. So I like I loved all the stuff with the teacher. Yeah, um, that was pretty great. The division scene was hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, once they find out Wonka's is doing this promotion, basically, I mean, it's the end of the day. It's a promotion. This is so candy because he sold so much candy. You basically intercut between seeing each of the kids who win the tickets, but then also all of the other crazy people in the world and their you know, obsession with getting the tickets. One thing that surprised me was I wasn't expecting the adults to go crazy too yeah. once the announcement was made. It, w- it made it very funny, yeah. um, in my opinion. And all that stuff, that stuff's not in the book. They essentially wrote, hired a different writer just to write vignettes like that. Like they, basically a guy whose like background was comedy oh. and he was, they just gave him the premise and they were like, pitch us, you know, ideas. And so I haven't seen them. I don't really have any of the, f- the the Blu-rays that have all the special features. So maybe they're on there. Maybe they weren't even filmed. But there were a bunch that did get cut out of the movie. Either because they were too much expensive to film. And right. things like that. But um, That's awesome though. But man, they did I, 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 I was so pleasantly... Like I truly didn't remember those scenes until <laughs> last night. And I was just like, man, as a kid... I I definitely didn't get the jokes, but I also was just probably fast forwarding. I was like, these aren't these aren't the kids. Like, what are, what yeah. are these like adults doing? <laughs> so I loved all that stuff. It yeah. was I was truly laughing. So yeah, like you mentioned, you know, we see this compilation of everyone around the world reacting and trying to buy all of these chocolates. Yeah, and. <laughs> the one so every time we see a kid who gets the golden ticket uh-huh. first of all the kids i think all throughout this movie are fantastic oh, yeah, all every, the actors those kids all they nail really it. nailed it <laughs> but every time they win a ticket you see and i forget his name dudley oh god dudley <laughs> forget it cut uh what's the guy's name who approaches all of these kids <laughs> slugworth slugworth <laughs> Dudley. You know why I said Dudley? <laughs> why? Because the girl who's like, I want this. Yeah. I want that. Veruca. She reminded me of like a female version of Dudley from Harry Potter. Uh, How many are there? 36. Counted them myself. 36? But last year, last year I had 37. Yeah, yes, well, well, some of them are quite a bit bigger than last year. I don't care how big they are. I won't talk to you ever again. You're a rotten mean father. You never give me anything I want. And I won't go to school till I have it. Baruka, sweetheart, angel. And then that made you think of the villain of the movie. The, yeah, the I don't know. I just, even. my brain, I don't know how it works. Yeah. So what was your point? <laughs> Every time you see a kid win the golden ticket, you see Slugworth approach these kids. And yeah. I was like, are none of these parents going to question why this creepy dude with the scar on his face? Well, not only that, these these are all winners from different countries. <laughs> and like, he's always right there when they win the ticket. And <laughs> it always makes me laugh that I'm just like, wait, now he's in Germany at the German restaurant. Uh, but yeah. he's always like disguised as a reporter. So like, exactly. clearly there was some infiltration going on here. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I love like, because you could argue, because a lot of them, it's when you see them on TV. So like, you could argue like, oh, he maybe heard about it and then showed up to the broadcast. Yeah. But when Charlie, you know, surprise, surprise, gets the final ticket, Charlie gets the ticket, runs out of the store, makes it like two blocks, and Slugworth appears in an alleyway. Like, yeah. I was like, how the fuck did <laughs> you know? But I don't give a shit. I mean, yeah. I'll, pi- I'll pick Nits, but I don't give a shit, because the movie's fantastic. <laughs> oh, why do you love it? You don't care. Oh, yeah, the Nits don't matter. Oh, my God. Um, one fun fact I have from the beginning, the Candyman, um, Sammy Davis Jr. lobbied for that role. He wanted to play the Candyman and sing that song. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to hire him because they figured by throwing a 
because he was like one of the biggest stars at the time by throwing a huge star in the first scene of the movie. He just felt like it was going to confuse people and like throw them off the rhythm. Because I agree. If you saw him, then you would, you know, it wasn't really the age of cameos like we have today where you'd be like, oh, look, Bieber's in a movie and then he leaves. Right. So people would have just been like, wait, is this going to be about this? like him? Like, you know, and then they start asking questions like, is Sammy Davis Jr. coming back? Absolutely. So they wanted to just hire someone that was like a relatively unknown. I agree with that. If that song were to for some reason happen later in the movie, I think that would have been fine. But for it to be the first song. Yeah, yeah it's one of I the agree. opening shots, basically. I agree with the professionals who do this all the time. <laughs> I think they made the right decision. I just really felt that Charlie really wanted this. Like, I really, <laughs> I feel like I'm obsessed with the kid who plays Charlie, but I really felt his pain throughout and really, like, I knew he was going to get the golden ticket, but at the yeah. same time, I was like, oh. Yeah, because in a movie like this, like, it's not surprising that he wins the golden ticket, but they still put in the work to build it up and make you excited when he gets it. Yeah. Um, like, when the mom sings Cheer Up Charlie, like, it, oh, it kills me. Because mm-hmm. um, I just feel it. Especially now that I'm older, like, I feel it. Like, I don't, we don't have kids, obviously, but, like, you can, you can put yourself in the shoes of adults where it's, like, she wants to give her son a good life. She wants him to be happy, but she just, there's nothing she could do about it. Right. And it, so it's, like, it's breaking her heart to see how excited he's getting about this because she knows... Mm-hmm. He's not gonna win because it's it's basically the, it's like getting excited about winning the lottery. Right. It's it's not gonna you're not gonna end up in a happy place, like, you know. So uh, I love and then even just the fake outs, like you know Charlie gets his one his piece of chocolate for his birthday that he gets once a year. Yeah. He doesn't get it there, and then Grandpa, uh, you know, uses his tobacco money to buy him another piece, and you're like, oh, maybe this is his chance, and it's not that. And what I love is when he does win the ticket, it's when he buys a piece of chocolate and it's a hundred percent selfless. He's buying it for his grandfather. Mm-hmm. He didn't find money and he goes, yay, more chocolate for me. Yummy, yummy. Yeah. He remembers that his grandfather uses tobacco money to buy him chocolate. So he takes the quarter he finds and he goes, I'm buying this for grandpa. And then he only, and he doesn't even, he would have taken it to his grandpa, but he opens it once he finds out, we learned that all five tickets have been found, but then you find out the fifth ticket was actually a fraud, so the, it's actually still out there. And that's when he decides to open it. Yeah. So I like that it's it's not that even that he was given this just by like waiting and being like, oh, you know, like Absolutely. something nice will happen to me. It's like he had to put out something nice in the universe to then win the ticket. Yeah. Um. Because you know lovely. he's poor. Like he could have easily just bought that chocolate, scarfed it in his face, and not told anybody in his family. But you know he wanted to share exactly what he had. I totally thought there was going to be some sort of subplot where some freaking adult rips it out of his hands and steals it. That used to give me such anxiety <laughs> as a little kid. I remember that. I would freak out. Oh. Like, I just remember, like, thinking... Because it, it made me think of the whole thing, and I was like, whoa, what if, like, you did, like, win the lottery, and then someone just, like, ripped it out of your hand? Like, you know, like, I was always so scared for him, and I was like, get the hell out of there, Charlie! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I feel like you never get anxiety from scenes like I do. That's yeah. great. That I mean, can... I'm over it now, because I've seen it a thousand times. But yeah. I'm just saying, when I was a little kid, like, I just remember, you know, because, like, you're not even, like, I was, like, really little watching this. So, like, the, the idea of even, like, theft or stealing or mm. or forcibly taking something hadn't really even entered my mind that much. So then all of a sudden, that very perspective, I was like, whoa greedy people could just like take things you know like yeah like take something that's that's rightfully yours and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah so yeah he wins it and y- you find out that he can bring his grandpa to the factory too and... yeah he could bring one person with him and then that kind of gives his grandpa uh like a reason to get out of bed and he tries 
that was a great performance. It's a great performance. And, you know, this scene has been made fun of a thousand times. Why? Uh, like, really put it in perspective. Like, this grandpa's been sitting in bed for 20 years claiming that, like, he can't, like, like you know, you would, like, SNL did a skit about it. John Mulaney has a bit in his stand-up about it. Um, so there's, like, I'm not the first person to make this argument, but, like, you know, it's kind of assumed that they have, like, polio or, like, some, <laughs> like, that their legs truly don't work. Right. But you find that it was, like, a lack of motivation. Like, you know, he could have been working, helping his family, like, all this shit. And then it's, like, when he has something to gain, like, he gets out of bed for the first time. And now maybe you're thinking, hey, Grandpa Joe, maybe he deserved to go. He had a tough life, right? Because remember, Grandpa Joe, he says, I don't know if I can go, Charlie. I haven't walked in 40 years. Wait, let me check. And he gets out of bed, and he can walk! <laughs> Fuck you! You could walk this whole time, you walrus mustache son of a bitch! We've been supporting you while my mother cooks laundry soup while singing Cheer Up Charlie, which is an awful song. And we all fast forward through it. Right. I guess when you put all that... Yeah, but I don't... You know, that's it's easy in hindsight to look at that. Like, I remember as a kid being amazed that he stood up. Like, I remember <laughs> being like, whoa, like, you could, you could, yeah. you know, like, recover well, from Well, I thought like he had that. a good excuse if the floor is cold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a Just good excuse. Kidding. Yeah, and then we get, uh, you know, that's, I think, our third song at that point, the I've Got a Golden Ticket duet. Right. Which is fantastic. And that's another thing that the, the jokes that come out of it is, too, is because Charlie goes like, look, I found it, I found it. And then before he even... Like says, I'm gonna take grandpa. Like I was, the grandpa's singing, "I've got a golden ticket." Yeah, and it's just like, and it's like you greedy bastard. Like I didn't do. But yeah, the SNL gets funny. It's uh, Kristen Stewart plays uh, Charlie, uh-huh. and Pete Davidson plays the grandpa, and it's, it's pretty. Oh funny. wow, <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's fun. Oh, uh, I'll show it to you after this, and I'll put a little clip right here. But suddenly I begin to see a bit of good luck for me. Wait, what? What? You can stand. Are, are you serious right now? Yes, Charlie, I'm standing. Grandpa, you've been able to stand this entire time and you just didn't? Yes. Well, I thought you had terrible polio. Oh, God, no. I'm old, not sick, Charlie. Now let me finish my song. Beginning's a fun time. Yeah, it's fun time. I love the build-up to the mystery of who Wonka is because Charlie sits at his grandpa's bedside and he tells him the stories of of how it used to be a factory filled with workers and it wasn't until people were stealing his ideas and kind of taking his recipes from him and trying to sell them that he ended up banning all people from his workshop. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm closing down for good. And then I think they said like three years later, all of a sudden it mysteriously turned back on and then they started shipping out chocolate again. So like nobody knows how he's doing it or what's what's going on because like the guy said in the beginning, right. no one ever goes in, no one ever comes out. And it's just, like, it's a great build-up to, like, this, like, almost magical man who you're, like, who is this guy? We still haven't seen him yet. We're, like, 30 minutes into this movie. He's basically just a legend that I think I think they build up, like, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, you listen to Business Wars. Yes. For some reason, this ha- just reminded me of the Hershey... Hershey versus Mars. Yeah. yeah. That's a great <laughs> podcast, by the way. Wasn't there a whole bit about stealing recipes or or am I making that up? I know that Hershey ended up giving the um, rights to all the ki- a bunch of kids in the orphanage, right? Yeah, yeah. But no, that wasn't really a stealing recipes thing. Oh, okay. I mean, if we're getting real literal, like the creator of Hershey went over to Europe and kind of took their chocolate making secrets because American chocolate mm. was trash. 
before we adopted the way they do it in like Switzerland, Bavaria, Belgium. Right. All the places where it's kind of chocolate's known for being great. Yeah. Um, so that's that. But yeah, no, the orphanage thing was because his wife died and he just didn't want to, he just felt a little disillusioned by the whole like running an empire and, and making all this money and sure her life was dedicated to like helping orphans find homes mm. so he decided to basically i mean not unsimilar to this he gifted hershey the company to an orphanage which right. is fucking crazy yeah and like you know incredibly noble but also like terrible business like <laughs> like within a few years like it went back to the hands of people who actually knew how to run a business exactly it, it didn't really last i think that aspect of it just that's why it, it reminded me of yeah, this movie that's pretty funny I mean, I'm, fuck it. Like, because that happens way before Roald Dahl wrote the book. And, you know, he's very into history. So I could imagine he probably heard that story. And got inspired. Heard, got inspired to, to write this, I would imagine. Because hmm. he loves to, you know, mimic real life, you know, political things and, and real life histories. And right. then translate them into these magical little worlds. Yeah. Which is cool. I could see that. Yeah. So then these kids, you know, so we've gotten a couple good songs. We've gotten the Willy Wonka build up and everything. And then we get to the final point where all the kids and their their one chosen guardian get to go to the gates to meet Willy Wonka for the first time. And that's where we're introduced to Gene Wilder in oh, one of the best performances he's ever done, in my opinion. Uh, um, I don't think I, I've seen other Gene Wilder things. Really? And you've also never seen this, so this is your first time watching <laughs> Gene Wilder. Maybe I, ha- maybe I have. I'd seen, have to look it up. You've never seen The Producers? The original? Yeah. No. Uh, I've seen the remake. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible, but it's, uh, it's alright. I be a producer. Uh, yeah, the original is Mel Brooks and, and, uh, and him. I will. Ha- I do have to see it uh, because I yeah, and love directed, the songs. And directed by Mel Brooks, so it's fantastic. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Young Frankenstein is another classic. Uh, he worked, obviously, a lot with Mel Brooks. Oh, I might have seen Young Frankenstein a long time ago. Blazing Saddles. He's done some stuff with Richard Pryor. I actually never saw it, but a buddy of mine was just telling me about See No Evil, Hear No Evil, mm-hmm. which sounds hilarious, where him and Richard Pryor, one guy plays a blind guy and one, one guy plays a deaf guy, and then they both, uh, they, they witness a murder together, and so they have to use their sight. <laughs> I don't know, it sounds hilarious, I've never seen it, uh, but I just literally just found out about it yesterday. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, Gene Wilder is amazing. And uh, first film role, Bonnie and Clyde, catch him in the back of the car in one scene. Very small, get-to-be-famous Gene Wilder. That's cool. Yeah, he's he's one of the greats. I'm definitely motivated to watch more Gene Wilder. Yeah, he's so good. You know how, like, sometimes the feeling of the per- the actor as a person shines through? Like, yeah. you could just tell, like, he's, like, a cool... Yeah, yeah, That's the sure. vibe I got. And by all accounts, like, all the kids, like, because they've been... Because they were so young when this came out, they're not that old today mm-hmm. so they've done a thousand like where are they now and interviews and documentaries about like following up on the kids especially because none of them really went on to act mm-hmm. i want to say the girl who played veruca the brat i think she's the only one who went on to keep acting but by all accounts they all talk about like how warm and nice he was like mm-hmm. like when they weren't filming and like even the kid who played charlie like because he was he's the last kid to make it so he shot long the other kids and he said when it was just down to him like left like, every day he would eat lunch with Gene Wilder, and Gene Wilder would, like, be cool. Like, you know, like, just treat him like an equal and, like, talk Aww. to him and all this stuff. So they all just have, like, really nice things to say about him. That's awesome. And the genius of Gene Wilder, too, is Willy Wonka's entrance was completely his idea. And he actually, he was famous enough at the time where he made it, like, literally a stipulation where he's like, yeah, I'd love to play this role. I read the script. This is how I want the entrance to be. And 
and then the, uh, the director was like, all right, we'll take it into consideration. He's like, I hate to say it, but if we're not doing that entrance, I don't think I'm going to do this movie. Really? And I, well, yes, that's a little bit of a diva move. That entrance is so fucking perfect and memorable. <laughs> like, he was right. You know, it's so it starts off, everyone's so excited to see Willy Wonka in the factory. The door's open, and you just see this guy with a limp, you know, you, like, looking all sad and, like, feeble. He's limping towards the crowd. Everyone, everyone goes from applauding to like straight shock to be like, "Whoa, shit!" He looks yeah, it's like just sad. silence. Yeah, like like this guy looks like a, like a sad, you know, like just like now we were expecting. Then he's walking. The cane just stays completely straight up as it sticks into the cobblestone. He realizes he doesn't have the cane, starts to fall forward, and then just rolls up and springs in the air, and <laughs> everyone starts cheering. And when asked like, "Why did you want to make your entrance that way?" and he was like, "Well, after reading the script." And all the stuff, I wanted to set the precedent early that from that point on, no one would ever know when I'm lying and when I'm telling the truth. Uh. Like, he wanted to set up that persona as the character of, like, you know, even when he looks like he's being as genuine as possible, he could be always playing a trick on you. He could have an ulterior motive. You know, he could. He never wanted you to know what Willy Wonka was thinking. Wow. He always wanted you to be questioning. Because... His performance is amazing because most of the time he seems very warm. He seems like a very nice guy. He he seems excited that they're there. And then there's just these hints of darkness, you know, whenever he's directly asked a question that, that might, you know, reveal too much about his motives and his plans. He immediately sidesteps it. He'll speak in another language. Mm-hmm. You know, he sometimes will say things that, you know, are in a subtle way, like very rude and mean. But he says it with like a smile and, and like yes. a chipper attitude. Yeah. Stop, don't come back. Don't just stand there, do something. Help, police, murder. You should open your mouth a little wider when you speak. Wait a minute, what's all that small print there at the bottom? Oh, if you have any problems, dial information. Thank you for calling. The suspense is terrible. He's gonna go this time. I hope it'll last. You sure this thing will flow, Terry Wonka? With your buoyancy, sir, rest assured. So it's just like, I just love it. And even during the filming of a lot of this movie, they kept the kids in the dark about a lot of the stuff that was going to happen because they wanted genuine reactions out of them. Mm -hmm. So, like, none of the kids knew that that entrance was going to happen, so they were all really, like, (laughs) shocked when... Because, you know, they did rehearsals with him, so they they knew what Willy Wonka was going to be like, so when they saw him come out like that, like, one of the actresses even said, like, later when she was interviewed, that she thought Gene Wilder hurt himself (laughs) and that they, like, were literally had to, like, go with different angle because he couldn't walk anymore. Oh, wow. And so, like, they were all really shocked when when he jumped up. When they see the room with the chocolate river and all the edible stuff, that's the first time production ever showed them that room because they really wanted them to be like, holy cow, and run around <laughs> and grab stuff. That is so and cool. And then also, they didn't know how, like, they didn't, apparently, Gene Wilder played it a lot, was told by the director to play everything a lot nicer in rehearsals. So that way, those moments when he did get mean or snappy, like, actually, like, almost scared the kids a little bit. Because, oh. you know, when you're, like, a little kid, and if, like, adult isn't nice to you, and then for the, and then they yell at you, and you don't really, like, know it's coming, like, it can really, like, if you're little enough, it could shake you, you yeah. know? So, you know, these, these poor kids are basically had to go through all this. Like, what a sneaky way to direct the kids without directing the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love the way Gene delivered his lines, especially when he was being rude to the kids. Yep. I can't directly quote i i want to watch it again so i could grab the lines but when the german kid's like i love your chocolate he's wait am i quoting that last night's movie yep 
God damn it. Because Johnny Depp was just overtly mean that whole movie, yeah. and I didn't like it. I don't even want to talk about that movie yeah. in this section. So I, I can't... <laughs> Got him. <laughs> I can't even quote a specific line, but where Gene Wilder would be like, you could totally do that. Like, go yep. you. Like, it, it just the way, the tone and what he was saying, just the combo and how they were complete opposites was just hilarious. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And uh, the one thing I want to say, and this is a very obscure thought, when Gene Wilder does do his entrance and everyone just goes silent, for some reason it reminded me of a recent episode that we watched of Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh-huh. where they talk about like how you know you have a room's respect where people will hold to hear what you say next. Yeah, like if what, you take a moment. Exactly. Yeah. To like, you know, pour a glass of water or whatever. I just felt like this was that. Yep. Where he was just, you know that people respect him or like want to know more about him because yeah. he's able to just like hold everyone's attention for that amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally agree with how we were talking about earlier with how they build up all this expectation of Wonka. Mm-hmm. And it's a testament to how great Gene Wilder is. He totally fulfills that role. And because the minute, in my opinion, he steps on screen in the movie, he is in complete control of every scene from physically to, to just drawing your attention as an audience member mm-hmm. to also just bringing these kids along on some kind of ride that they don't know exactly what's around every corner and you know he he talks about how nothing's dangerous and this and that but then these kids get put in some pretty dangerous situations and he <laughs> seems to just be so flippant about their like their essential demise you right. know like and i like that it's played real where the parents are like so concerned about their kids and then he just oh yeah you know that goes to the incinerator but they only light it every other day so we have 50 percent chance you know right. like like it's just like and then so i, I just love that's what like about the scary part of it too, where it's like this magical great person, but then he's also like a little bit, a little bit dark. Yes. You know? So I just love you know when he first introduces them to the room with the chocolate river, and you know they want to all go run, and then he just puts his cane up, and they stop, and then every time he takes a step, they take a step when he's singing pure imagination. Yeah. And I just love that, and I love the kids' reactions to everything, and then just the set design. I love, like, the, the movie in the beginning looked really good, you know, the way they shot it. I loved this, the setting of using Germany and using the cobblestone streets. Mm-hmm. They purposely didn't show a lot of cars because they didn't want this movie to feel dated because that's the easiest way to date a movie is by showing current cars of that time. Right. So they purposely kept a lot of cars off the streets. They really wanted it to feel like it could take place at any time. Minus, you know, there are things like television and those technologies. But in general, they just didn't want to, like, fully set it in 1971. Mm-hmm. And then the second we get into the factory, just the set design is insane and so creative. Like, using what they... Because $3 million isn't that much money. It's not a low-budget movie, but it's not... It's not like... You can't just do anything you want. Yeah. And I just... I love the way that they they just portray every single room is different. It's all... It has so much character to it. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think of the Chocolate River Room? I thought it was fantastic. And I feel like it stands the test of time. Just... I was still amazed how creative they got. Just overall. And just the edible... Every piece being edible. And yep. all the fun. Like the chewable... Like you drink whatever he was drinking, like a glass of tea, and then he eats the cup, like, oh, so cool. (laughs) And I love that the parents were kind of got into it, too. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you know? I mean, you you would, because you're basically seeing, like, magic. You've never seen a fully edible room. Right. Um, You know, this, uh, it also gave me, Willy Wonka gave me a lot of Peter Pan vibes. 
I could see that. Because it's in a in a way, you know, he's he loves this room and he loves candy as much as the kids do. Yeah. And so in a way, in that sense, it seems like he doesn't want to grow up. So I don't know why I was getting that vibe from him. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I know you didn't want to talk about the Johnny Depp version at all, but <laughs> what I didn't think worked with that one was like how like weird and insecure they played the character. Where in, I, I don't know how much you watched, but like, he was always very awkward. He didn't know how to interact with the kids. Like he didn't, it was the complete opposite of Gene Wilder yes. where he didn't, he didn't command the control of any room. Like he always seemed nervous mm-hmm. and like trying to be like funny for the kids, but his jokes don't land. And they, two different times in the movie, he walks into an invisible glass door and falls down. Like that's the kind of humor we're dealing with in the mm. remake. Yeah, um, it's not. So yeah, Gene, it's, it's just, yeah, I'm going to keep singing his praises. One of the best comedic actors, Gene Wilder. Yeah. Um, it's funny you said about the, the edible room and stuff, because in reality, when I was doing my behind the scenes stuff, you know, they said in reality about 30% of the stuff was edible, you know? So even like the cup, like that was just pure wax. And so every time they filmed that scene, he had to just spit chew, it out. Yeah. Just chew wax and spit it out. And like a lot of the times when they're eating like gummy stuff, you see them like put it in their mouth and stretch it, but then it cuts away. Cause like really they're just, it's not really like a gummy candy. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so. not surprised, but I totally bought it. Yeah, I yeah. thought they did a great job. Definitely. I will also say that the machinery that they create it, it with throughout his factory. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's uh, so good. I know. It's so much fun. Uh, like none of it makes any sense. Like, you know, there's in the invention room, he's dropping like shoes and coats to make <laughs> things taste better and stuff like that. Yeah. And even just the invent- inventiveness of the candy itself. Like I remember as a kid, like everything from the lickable wallpaper to, you know, the everlasting gobstopper. Like I was just like, yeah. Not that I wanted it, but the exploding candy for your enemies. That uh, was hilarious. Yeah. One of my favorite jokes was, ah, oh, I think it needs a, a little bit of a kick. And yeah. he puts a shoe in there. <laughs> or a cleat. I think he actually put a yeah, cleat in there. that's pretty funny. Yeah. Just jokes like that. I was not expecting it to be this like funny. How funny would it be? Uh, I know you loved the, uh, when he would go, so much time, so little to see. Wait, take that. Reverse it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I just related to that because I mess up phrases and words like that all the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. Like even when you know he messes up, it's just him messing with them. Like he didn't mm-hmm. actually mess up the phrase. Yeah. I hope that you're going to inform me a little bit about uh, the history behind the Oompa Loompas. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can get into the Oompa Loompas a little bit. So yeah, Oompa Loompas, timeless creatures from the movie. <laughs> you know, basically all played by uh, little people. I wish I I had more concrete answers on this because I felt I heard a little contradictory info. But apparently, in the original book, there was a lot more slavery overtones. Mm -hmm. They were basically described as like pygmies from Africa, like little men that he found uh, in the deepest jungles of Africa where no, basically, no white man has ever been before. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he brought them over and they worked for him and stuff. I didn't read the book, so I don't know. On some accounts I read where they were like, the book actually makes Willy Wonka a little bit more potentially sinister than the movie. And then I read other stuff where they were like, Gene Hackman brought a darkness to the role that wasn't there in the original. So uh, it's see. hard to say without reading the book. But I do know for a fact that he got a lot of shit from the NAACP for their depiction of Oompa Loompas like that. And basically when they were making the movie, they were like very vocal about like, you better fucking change that. Like, like you I know, see. like we're not <laughs> like, like this and that. So I think they decided to, you know, just go as completely fantasy with it as possible exactly. by making them orange skinned purple hair 
they were still from the Oompa Land and all that other stuff in the book, I think. But, and, like, I think you saw how they showed in the remake where, like, they were, like, tribes people who ate bugs and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, they were going back in the direction, I'm sure, that the NAACP was like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really? Tribal dances? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about it too much. <laughs> I shouldn't have watched it. I should have watched it after we recorded <laughs> Yeah, so uh, they just went completely, like, just as, as fantastical and, like, non-allegorical as possible with it, just to kind of, like, play it safe. But also, it's more memorable to me. Like, next to the Munchkins from Wizard of Oz, they're the most, I don't want to say memorable little people in movies, it's kind of fucked up. But, I don't know, it just, like, there's nothing I could ever mix with an Oompa Loompa. If I see just a picture <laughs> anywhere, I'd be like, well, they want to try to crack the Oompa Loompa. Right. Their songs um, It kind of goes fantastic. hand in hand with the Willy Wonka. Like, yeah, you're exactly. Like, Oompa Loompa is like the first thing that pops into your head. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, that was kind of the backstory of that. And then I like that he kind of explained their backstory a little bit, but they didn't have to go into it so deeply. But that's also the explanation of how the factory went back into business. Like, exactly. you know, he had, to, he had to do it. And I like that, you know... You don't get to know too much about Willy Wonka in this, but one of the things you do learn about is just, like, his disillusionment in people. Like, he really loses his faith in what people can be and do. And, like, he loves candy, he loves inventing, and, you know, he loves his Oompa Loompas. Mm -hmm. So, him opening up a factory is kind of like his first time extending a hand back to society to be like, maybe there is some good in people somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. Again, I don't know why I'm getting such strong Peter Pan vibes. But just, you know, with Peter Pan and uh, the, what are the boys called? The Lost Boys. The, and the Lost Boys. Like, he just trusted those, he or she, just trusted those kids and, like, everybody else, like, Captain Hook and all the pirates and all the humans. Like, it takes a while. Yeah. I don't know. This might just be me. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's a good connection. But it's also interesting, you know, now that you provide that backstory, I didn't know any of that, but I still kind of got those vibes for some reason. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he went to Africa to... Mm. I don't know. See, you're confusing with the other movie. He never said Africa. Oh, see. <laughs> I shouldn't have watched it. You know? Yeah, you're, you're confusing okay, the, the remake. I mean, yeah. the vibes are there. I'm not going to say they're not. It's totally valid to see mm -hmm. that. But yeah, just he definitely didn't say I got them from Africa in the right. original movie. <laughs> well, but anyway, but I'm glad. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, and I'm glad that they kind of went far right with it. Yeah, just yeah. Just made it completely completely un they weren't human like it was no. yeah it was something completely yeah. different and they were hilarious yeah and their uh, songs were great yeah and you know and, and they live in happiness like the oompa loompa doompa do <laughs> <laughs> yeah so as as we go through the factory basically every kid has an aspect of them that's just like a really shitty personality trait either they're incredibly Greedy like Veruca, they're gluttonous like Augustus, they have dirty habits like Violet, or, you know, and the most contemporary one, I think, is the TV-obsessed kid. That one has definitely seemed like a, a, a portion of the times, because that was written mm. in 1964, like, you know, TV didn't become a household thing until the 50s. And so it was, a, it was a very, you know, it'd be like talking about kids being addicted to the internet, like, eight years after we all got the internet. Yeah. Um, so that was a very contemporary, like, commentary where, like, oh, it's rotting kids' brains, they should be reading, like, TV has nothing of value there. And especially TV of that time, it was just a lot, you know, like, all he liked was westerns and, and violent TV shows. In, in terms of, like, thinking about inclusivity, in terms of casting, uh -huh. I do think that it was... It makes complete sense that all these kids were white. <laughs> I cannot see a black parent tolerating any of these kids. 
<laughs> talking back to them. She like, would come at the dinner table. Yeah, demanding every single thing you see. Like, no way. Oh, my God. Yeah, Veruca. <laughs> I think I think the, the mix of Veruca salts and fucking Angelica pickles from the Rugrats, like, <laughs> yeah. like just truly drilled into my head as a child of, like, do not be a brat. Like, nobody fucking likes a brat. You don't deserve shit. Like, you know, like, if good things happen to you, it should be because you did something. Or, and if it, even if it's not because you did something, be grateful for it. You right. know, like, <laughs> like they always taught me right away where I was like, oh, yeah, the person everyone hates the most is a spoiled brat. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and Veruca, like, it's such a mix because I hate her, but, like, they do such a good job. Like, I love the actress portraying it. Like, you know, like, you're supposed to hate her. So it's like, yeah. it's like the film accomplishes its goal. But you're like, fuck, this kid is a <laughs> rotten piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the bad habits, I think, I think she's got to be the worst one. You know, the, the gluttonous kid, like, it's it's more for his own health. Yeah. The, and his parents don't seem to be that great yeah. at it either. So Although that TV kid, like, he's obsessed with shooting stuff and killing stuff so yeah. who knows what he's gonna grow up into yeah that and then the going. chewing gum honestly like i don't even think it's that gross of a habit although later when she picks her nose it's pretty funny <laughs> well i also think that she just is one of those you know how she's growing into her dad who's obsessed with like selling his business and having the spotlight on yeah, him like yeah. she's like this is my time dad exactly yeah yeah so. So that's pretty that's pretty great <laughs> It's funny how you say you're so obsessed with Charlie because apparently Veruca and Violet, those two actresses, were both had a huge crush on him, <gasps> and they would have like, they would always be like competing with each other of like who gets to sit with him at lunch oh my and all God. this stuff. And, I love BTS drama. Yeah, and and the Violet character said she even tried to fight back against the nose picking scene because she thought it would make her look gross to Charlie because she wanted it. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. But Peter, I, I don't know all their real names, so I'm just gonna call them their character names. Yeah. But yeah, so that, I found that so funny and like adorable because they're all like nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like the dream boat on set that is so funny <laughs> so the movie kind of d- dishes out its lessons by having each kid kind of act badly in the in the factory based on their own personalities and like the the bad things about it which you know like i said it's not it is aimed at kids it's not an overly complicated movie it's like you know yeah the, the, the one kid who likes to eat a lot gets a little eats too much and then gets gets uh punished for it but and, you know, to my points of scaring kids, like, I just love how dark these moments get. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember being freaked out as a kid when Augustus just gets sucked up that tube. Mm. Like, I was like, like, it looks like he can't even breathe in there. And then he just gets shot out. And, and just like the, it's the first time, you know... At, up to that point, all of Willy Wonka's things have been a little more lighthearted pranks. Like, he leads them in the one room, and it seems like they all get stuck, and then he lets them out. He's got the little tiny door. Like, it's all very harmless pranks, but then when it looks like Augustus just gets killed, and he doesn't give a shit, and he mm-hmm. just, like, he's just like, oh, yeah, he, uh... He's going into the to the hot hot chocolate room, you know, like right. he might burn to death, but eh, we'll see. I just feel like the conversation had to be had in post production where they asked themselves if they should shoot a scene where you see that these kids actually survived. Like, I just feel like that conversation was had. Yeah. Um, because you never see them again. So you never really know, like... Yeah. So, all right, I'll get into... I mean, that's that's not really what we're considering in the spoiler section, but I guess I'll go into that. So, oh. in the book, there is a scene where they all are leaving the factory safely. They're all kind of different in a way. Like, the they do get the juice out of Violet after she blows into a blueberry, but, like, she's still blue. But they are all alive. Mm. and they do the same thing in the remake but i love that they keep it out of this and willy wonka does tell you in the end that they're all 
they're all going to be fine. Maybe they'll learn a lesson after what they did, but, you know, they're all fine. But because of the way it's played, I've never truly believed him. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, he might be telling the truth, but he's been bullshitting this whole movie. So I, I kind of love that they keep it ambiguous because I was like, this guy might just be a murderer. <laughs> like, Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, in the in the legit canon of everything that they do survive, they're just all a little fucked up. Right. I will say, too, another part of this movie where I got anxiety is, you know, all these kids, like you said, sort of break the rules that Willie uh, establishes in yes. the factory. And at one point, Charlie and his grandfather do as well. And I totally didn't know that that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I got worried there. I was really scared and I was... And and it wasn't even really Charlie that wanted to do it. It was his grandfather. Yeah, I I love that scene. Um, I think you you do need that. The one thing about Charlie is it's it's kind of the problem I have with the the first Captain America movie where he's so good where like it, it's almost never tested or wavered. Oh. Like he's just kind of like he like he personally doesn't grow like an incredible amount. It's more that he's just like a very good person, and then good things happen to him, which is which is fine, but. I like, you know, I like a little bit of, you know, testing your hero's uh, resolve. And, you know, you, you want a flawed hero. That's that's how they grow. Yeah. Like in Captain America, like before he's Captain America, he's willing to jump on a grenade and kill himself just to save his platoon mates. And then he gets superpowers and then he just kind of continues that same selfless act. And it's not until the later movies where I think they actually, like, test his resolve and make it interesting. But in the very first one, I found that a little bit boring because he's just like, he's great in the beginning. And then he's great with superpowers. Got it. It's there's no he doesn't learn anything. So I love that they added the Charlie drinking fizzy water, and that's actually that's completely not in the book. They wrote that for the movie to kind of give you a reason to to show you that Charlie could easily become like one of these other kids, mm. but instead he learns from his mistake instead of just becoming like another brat, basically. I see. Um, so yeah, I love the the scene where they drink the fizzy drink and then they go up to the to the ceiling. Yeah, um, it just had me worrying. That's all. Yeah, but and I, I love the filming of it too, where it turns from this like incredibly magical fun moment to immediately being like, "Oh, we're about to die!" You know, like <laughs> I, I've always loved that. Yeah. Um, Cool. And I, then I, I used to actually be scared of that, too, as a kid, because I can't burp on command. So I remember <laughs> just thinking, like, I would die in that situation. Like, I can't burp unless, like, I have to burp, you know? Like, like, the way they were just like, keep burping, we'll go down. And I was like, how can you just, like, make yourself burp? Like That's crazy uh, that you can't do that. I, I just feel like that's something every adolescent boy learns how to do. Nah, burps have always been gross to me. <laughs> but farts? Hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's like the funniest thing oh, in the world. Yeah. The movie could use more farts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do that scene in Family Guy, but of course they fart instead of burp to get down from the sky, uh, like him and Brian. Oh, uh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> we might be touching on some spoiler territory here, unless you had anything else um, that you wanted to say in this section. Yeah, I guess the only other subplot we didn't really bring up was how we, we mentioned Slugworth, but every time the kid gets a golden ticket, Slugworth makes them a deal. Slugworth is the rival candy maker, and if they steal the everlasting gobstopper, which is what it sounds like, it's a gobstopper that you could just suck on forever and never goes away, mm -hmm. and give it to them, he'll give them like $10,000 so he could help, you know, get above Willy Wonka on the thing, on the ladder. So all, each kid is given an everlasting gobstopper to take home. And they have to promise to never show it to anybody. So as the audience, you kind of know that Slugworth made them all a deal. And so mm -hmm. you're kind of curious as to like how that'll play out. 
I like that too. That's another thing that's not in the book. Really? Yeah, they mentioned Slugworth as like a rival, but there's no. They they kind of wanted to have like a little bit of a villain in the movie, and and again, what I meant like streamlining into a ninety minute movie, I think that's that works. So I, I actually like that change, and it gives all the characters and Charlie included like something to think about. Absolutely. The whole time, because because at first they're so excited to be in the in the factory, but then over time, Wonka's kind of scaring you a little bit. And you could almost kind of understand, like, yeah, why wouldn't I sell this guy's candy? He just mm. is putting us in danger and fucking with us the whole time. That is surprising to me that that aspect wasn't in the book. Yeah. Because then where's the... M- I feel like them just wanting to tour this factory isn't enough. Yeah. In terms of the story. Like, okay, cool. Like, well, it they just are, seems they are more told that they're, gr- they're going to get a lifetime supply of chocolate. Oh, yeah. They are told that as well. So that's kind of the... I guess so. I, I guess there's, I, I'm just saying that there's nothing from an audience standpoint where you're like wondering something. Like you're not questioning anything. You're kind of just going along for the ride. Whereas in the movie version, you're questioning like which kid, if any, are going to turn and try and get a gobstopper to give to Slughorn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it works. Like I, yeah. love, I love that change from the book. The only other scene I want to get your opinion on that we totally brushed over, it's like the most famous scene of the movie is the boat ride scene. <laughs> Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it was even put on uh one of those like uh it was like ranked like sixty something on one of those like hundred scariest movie moments of all time. Oh wow! Because I I remember just it shocked the fuck out of me as a kid. Like it's, wow, it's easily like the darkest thematically point in the entire movie. You know, they get on the boat, it starts going down the river. It's all magical and beautiful. And then it goes into the tunnel. And then it just starts increasing in speed and speed. And Gene Wilder is given that amazing performance of that scary-ass song. There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> He's singing. which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a-blowing? <laughs> Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! The danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing! Oh, man, and the lighting, like... I was gonna say the lighting from on his face. Yeah, like, it almost, it's like... It's the it's moving so fast where it's like shadow light, shadow light, shadow light. But Gene Wilder's acting is so good that his face looks different every time the light hits him. Yeah. And so it's like it's like in one moment he looks calm and peaceful, then he looks really scary. And then you know they and then for a rated G movie they had some pretty violent images on the wall. Like they had like a chicken getting hit with a hammer. Uh, that was gonna be my comment. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised how fighting. violent. And that was another thing too, where they didn't warn the kids at all about that scene. Um, so they didn't know what kind of images were gonna be on the wall. Like one of the kids even said, like they almost started crying. Like they really thought Gene Wilder was like going mad in front of them because because he was so nice all the time during rehearsals. So like he didn't show any of this darkness. Oh lord! Um, so <laughs> I'm glad it, these kids are okay. Yeah, so it scared the fuck out of all of them. And then the way it just stops so suddenly, you know, and then they w- and it looks like they weren't even moving fast at all. Yeah. And then they just move on. Oh, so good. I'm sure I would have been terrified as a kid watching this scene. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm an adult, so <laughs> I wasn't, but it was pretty scary. I The one thing that stuck with me was the lighting on Gene's face yeah. and the acting. The lighting in the end, this, like the, the lyrics to the, to the little thing he was singing yes. was so scary. Oh, that was God, pretty cool. Yeah. All right, so... I think we discussed a lot, like, plot-wise, this and that. Uh, I think we jump in the spoiler section so we can talk about the ending of the movie. 
So as I mentioned before, each kid basically gets picked off one by one based on their own greed. The gum chewer chews uh, that piece of gum that is a three-course meal, but they Wonka warns her that she didn't finish the recipe yet. So then she ends up turning into the dessert, which is the blueberry. It's always the dessert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That poor girl, though, filming that scene apparently she like recalled it in an interview and it just looked like a goddamn nightmare because like basically first they they filmed it where they had like air like they had the suit rigged to blow up with air so it looked like she was getting fatter Uh but then once she was the actual blueberry ball they just had this like big styrofoam costume that she had to get into and it took so long to get in and out of that apparently uh on one day they had to break for lunch and they literally just had to like leave her there (gasps) and like pas would come every once in a while and roll her so like that (laughs) way like she like you know she she like her head wouldn't always be towards the ground, like so she could see different parts of the ceiling and all this other stuff. And then she was just complaining how like the Oompa Loompas, you know, weren't they didn't really have a lot of time to practice rolling a giant ball, so they kept like she would like hit her head on the doorway when they were rolling her out, like they would lose control of oh her constantly God. and she would just be bumping into shit. Is yeah. this why uh rules are so strict with having kids on set oh hell yeah dude <laughs> hell yeah like wow that's insane and then one story she told too was uh after they were done filming because that was the last thing she filmed she was in a uh, regular like just like re- her regular school like in a school day and then just like in the movie all of a sudden someone started freaking out and they were like you're turning blue and so what happened was the food dye that they used like to paint on her skin was on for so long it actually seeped into her pores oh. so for 48 hours every time she would sweat it would come out blue oh and God. so like literally she was just like just getting covered in blue and then she would go and like wipe it all off and then 10 minutes later she would start getting blue again and it was just like that in... is so scary yeah yeah i mean it was like hard it was it wasn't like toxic or anything but still. i know but i mean just to, the first time that happened to her it yeah, was definitely scary exactly. like i could and i'd then, be freaking yeah. out and then she joked and she was like she was like i could never get any dates when i was in that school because i was known as the blue girl <laughs> you know like, <laughs> i'm blue I booty, I <laughs> and what is all these blue movies they're watching <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so these you know they're all getting the veruca gives her her i want it now song and then gets deemed as a bad egg and dumped <laughs> down the, the golden goose thing i love that bad good egg bad egg yeah so that that it? scene in the movie, I mean in the book, um, it was actually a bunch of squirrels who who were trained to go through nuts uh, for like the chocolate, and then they would, if it was a bad nut, they would discard it, and then she tries to take one of the squirrels and they all attack her and deem her a bad nut and dump her down the chute. Ooh. So it's very similar, but they just were like, we can't train 50 squirrels. Like, it's just not feasible, so they changed it to the golden geese, but I liked it a lot better. I think the golden geese made it more fantastical. In my I opinion. agree, and I also the image of a bunch of squirrels attacking a little girl is very scary and dark to me. Oh, they do it in the remake. It's fucking weird. Oh, it's such like a long scene, and like it just I don't know. Wow. And like no one's helping her. It's just weird. Yeah, that um, seems. But I love Veruca's song. She's the only kid who gets a song, which I find interesting. Mm. Besides, like Charlie. Well, but... she demands it. <laughs> yeah. She demands a she song. She wants it now. <laughs> she's so Dudley. She wants a bean feast. That's her cousin. Oh, Dudley. Because she's from England, yeah, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, <laughs> Damn, she is Dudley's cousin. <laughs> she might be Dudley's mom. Fuck she it. Could... Oh, 1971. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so... Uh, oh my god i love to hate her like it's so good you know yeah. she's fantastic and then yeah so we end up with just charlie left and i love the anti-climax oh well you mentioned the the cowboy kid too oh yeah mike tv he gets literally transported 
he, Wonka learns how to transmit food through the television, yes. which is really interesting. And this kid loves TV so much that he wants to do it so he could like be on TV, yeah. which I find hilarious. And even, you know, to go back to how young I was when I watched this, like that was the first time I even got even a modest uh, uh, explanation of how television works. Mm. You know, like obviously it's it's a pretty simplified version where they just say they break it up into a million pieces and reconstruct it. But I was just like, whoa, like I didn't know that that's, yeah. that's how something like this works. So yeah, all the kids get basically taken out of the out of the equation one by one and then i just love you know charlie's the only one left and then just how quickly it seems like it's about to end where where willy wonka just goes all right well thank you uh exits that way i'll see you later and goes into his office right and then you know the grandpa takes charlie in to figure out why he's acting like that and why charlie's not getting his lifetime supply of chocolate exactly and then oh gene wilder in this scene it's so good. This is another one too where they didn't they didn't uh, really share the script with Charlie. So the actor talked about how he got so scared when Gene Wilder yelled at him. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Because you know they've been like eating lunch together and being pals and. And, like, even Gene Wilder in one interview, and he was like, I wanted so bad to warn Peter about oh. what I was going to do to him because he was such a nice kid, but the director, like, forbade it. And he was like, no, you can't. Like, you have to. So when he yells oh, at him. This director. Yeah. And then, so this is where you learn that basically everything that they've been going through has kind of been a test. You know, they just thought they were touring a thing, touring a factory and getting a lifetime supply of chocolate, but Willy Wonka's really been testing the resolve of all these kids. And he... He's, uh, he said he wanted to find one who wouldn't break the rules. Right. And he actually had them all sign a contract at the beginning when they first entered the factory. Yeah, that hilarious contract where the writing gets smaller and smaller yeah. until you can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that part, you know, you can't blame the, them for not knowing exactly what yeah. the clauses of the contract were. But he basically says that if anyone breaks any rules, all winnings are null and void. They don't get anything. And he reveals to them that he actually knew that they stole the fizzy pop drink. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you know... As, as optimistic as the grandpa has been for most of the movie, though his first reaction to getting, like, quote-unquote burned by Willy Wonka was he was just like, come on, Charlie, let's go sell that gobstopper to that Slugworth. Like, yeah. fuck this guy. And then that's when you see, like, Charlie's true nature where he knows he can go get the money, make this and that, and then instead he walks over to Willy Wonka and gives him back the everlasting gobstopper. Mm-hmm. You know, symbolically saying, like, I'm not going to sell your secrets or betray any of this trust. Yeah. Like, and like I'm sorry that we broke that one rule. And then that's when Willy Wonka's whole demeanor flips around, and then you find out that the guy who we... Like, Slugworth is a real person, but the guy we thought was Slugworth was actually hired by Willy Wonka to test each kid to see if any of them would you know, sell him the gobstopper and, yeah. and like, kind of prove it. And then that final act, you know, overjoys Willie, and you learn that the only reason he opened the shop was he wanted to basically find the next person who will run this factory for him, but he needed someone who was, like, pure intention, pure of heart, mm-hmm. you know, like, always makes the right decision even when it doesn't benefit them. And I just, oh, I love that so much. Yeah. Because I remember, like, you know, you could think, like, why all of a sudden now is he letting these kids in, you know, this and that? Like, why is he, why is he, the second he learns that they have aspects that he doesn't think is going to make them a good person or turn them into the kind of people he doesn't like, he immediately becomes cold to them mm-hmm. and all this. And so, you know, he thinks that the whole thing was a waste. That's why he gets so mad. But then he realizes that, like, you know, 
by by giving that back, Charlie totally proved himself. And what I like is kind of just like basically reproves his faith in humanity, where mm. you know he everybody was trying to steal from him to the point where he had to close his factory down and become like an agoraphobic almost who never comes outside. Right. So then like the goodness of Charlie is what gives him faith back in, in humanity. And I just think that's a great lesson for kids, you know, like. Absolutely. How did you feel about that whole ending of like how mean he got? And Oof. as someone who didn't really know where, like, I'm sure you could have guessed it was going to have a happy ending, but. Yeah, but I thought it was pretty powerful the way it went down in the end. Yeah. Like you said, the grandfather's reaction to I was kind of taken aback by it. Like, it made sense, but I was like, whoa. I didn't know he was going to be like, all right, Charlie, let's go sell this yeah. thing. Um, so I thought that it really shone through Charlie's char- true character of him putting the gobstopper there. Because he, we know him as this character who usually puts his family first. But in this scenario, he really put his feelings on what the right thing was to do first before his family. Yeah. And it kind of mirrors the getting the golden ticket where it's a selfless moment that gets him good karma to then get him what he needs. You know know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was when he buys a chocolate for his granddad, he gets the golden ticket. And then when he just wants to do something nice for Willy Wonka, even after Willy Wonka was just very mean to him. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just, I think it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. So um, Willy Wonka takes him into uh, the glass elevator he tells him about how it can go all over the factory. It's got all these properties, but there's one button he's never pressed before, mm-hmm. uh, which is the up and out button. He has asked Charlie to press it, and they fly right out of the factory through the air. Kind of like, to me, it just seemed like, like you know, because he never really leaves the factory. So it's kind of like him finally being able to break free and mm-hmm. like trust people again. And then he tells Charlie that he is actually going to give him the entire factory. Right. And that, uh, you know, he knew he, he needed to find a child because adults are so like, either cynical from from their life experiences or kind of like lost the whimsy and the magic. Yeah. And so that's why he wanted to have these kids come in. Which is funny, though, because you see how many adults are looking for the golden ticket. So, like, how did he know it was going to be found by five kids? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. <laughs> well, I have a theory. <laughs> um, okay, what did you want to say? Should I talk about my theory? I mean, yeah, that's basically the end of the movie. Like, you find out, uh, you know, he says that that final line of... Uh, well, to your aunt, to your, to your question on how he knew five kids were going to get it, uh-huh. I have a theory that Willy Wonka ended up buying the machine by the scientist guy who could track where the golden tickets were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that machine was so oh, funny. Oh, gosh. That's my theory. But I think that, and it totally doesn't make sense to put at the end of this movie, but... It would have just been the dark cherry on top if Willy Wonka was like, only you can live here and not your grandfather because he was about to betray me uh, <laughs> by yeah. selling the gobstopper. That might happen in the book because um, that, that actually does happen in the other movie, which is why it's fucking 30 minutes longer because it goes on for like 30 more minutes after that. Oh. Uh, and it's all because he doesn't trust families because he didn't like his dad. So he tells Charlie he has to abandon his family. And then oh. that's why I remember we were watching The End With Me and he was like, and that's how Willy Wonka gained a family. Oh, and yes. And was like, oh, thanks, narrator. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would have been kind of fucked up. But I kind of like that, like, after all that, you finally get to see the true intention of Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. You know, like at that point, like the ruse was over. There yeah. wouldn't have been no other reason to, to kind of like, be a dick <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah i agree and yeah at the end of the day he is giving it to charlie he's just giving his family a place to be which yeah. is nice yeah and so it kind of just ends with the the them floating through the air in the great glass elevator like a little happily ever after 
I love how Charlie was like, I can see our house from here. And I was like, every single one of these houses look exactly the same. <laughs> well, no, their house was like a brown shit house. It wasn't, it wasn't like a orange roofed. Uh... Yeah, but I didn't see it in that shit. That's how I knew it was so Europe because everything in Croatia, all the towns are like that where every roof is orange for some reason. Like it's just like this European thing. Uh, Why orange? Not in the cities, but like it's just in the towns. I don't know. Like if you, if you climb a mountain or climb a mountain, if you go high enough in Croatia, in, in the towns, like not the cities, you just look, every roof is orange. It like, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I was thinking of doing the, talking about the batshit sequel book in the in the Beyond the Credits and pretending like I made it up, like I did in Cinderella, oh. but I'm not going to do that. Because honestly, I didn't even understand it. Um, and also, it would be a bad pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so they, um, yeah, he made, oh. he made a sequel to this book and like I tried to do some research. Oh, sorry. I was thinking about this movie the johnny depp movie oh that's what i meant as the bad pitch my oh bad. no that's just i guess remake. i'm just trying to <laughs> attack the johnny depp tim yeah. burton version uh, i don't know anything about the remake so um, please do tell you do know about the remake because that's what you're just talking i mean about. oh my god i can't speak today <laughs> Call the remake a sequel jesus christ <laughs> tell me about the sequel oh i wish i could i read the whole plot synopsis on wikipedia and it made no goddamn sense to me it's called Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. It picks up right where this ends. Hmm. And they keep flying in the Great Glass Elevator up into space. And then he takes them to Space Hotel USA, which is a hotel like on a planet in space. And then the U.S. government mistakes them for spies because it's like the Cold War. And then there are all these... They have to like... Basically, they have to like save a race of aliens on space. Like, it has nothing to do with the fact that we were making chocolate or anything. I'm shaking my head right now. Yeah, so I'm kind of glad they didn't try to make a sequel to it, uh, to this movie with, with this kind of weirdness. Talk about his interest in history yeah. and, and then there was a, there was a third book that he ended up dying before he finished, but it was called Charlie in the White House, and it was basically about, like Charlie becoming president. And, like, I don't know, it just... Uh, leave the story mm. alone. <laughs> it sounds like he pulled a... Uh, you know how earlier we said he is the Stephen King of children's books? Yeah. And it sounds like he had a little addiction on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man, you're really speculating on a dead man here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just mean that he had, he kind of goes crazy a little. Oh, it's not better. Okay. <laughs> no. It's not that he's addicted to drugs. It's that he has mental illness. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Maybe, he's just the, maybe just not every idea I don't, hits. I'm you know? so like, sorry. Like, not everyone can have 100% gold ideas all the time. Uh, I think we, we might be able to come up with some interesting ideas and be on the credits. Yeah, That's yeah. not in space. Um, all right. So, yeah, now that we talked about this weird-ass sequel, um, <laughs> I think that's pretty much what I got on the plots of the movie. Um, so, if you don't have anything else to add, let's uh, play a little round of Best Worst. Best Worst. <laughs> So I have three best worst. How many of you come? Whoa! Up I'm sure we, I'm sure we must overlap at yeah. one point. And I could even think of some more if, if we do overlap. So <laughs> I'm gonna go first, which is a very easy one. That's pretty much gonna happen every time we do a musical. Best worst song. Ha! <laughs> and canceling that out of my list. <laughs> okay. So, oh, do, should you go first? Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's only if you need time. But I'm sure you already have one because you wrote it. I did. All right. Yeah, you go first. I do. This was actually very hard because I did like a lot of the songs. Yeah, worst was hard for me. I, I, I just because I don't, I don't dislike any of them. So like, I felt right. bad calling one the worst. Yeah, I did love, really love the Candyman can. Nice. 
It's good. It sets up the whole tone of uh, of everything. Yeah, it sets up the world of like everyone on all these kids loving Ken. I don't know. It's just very uplifting. It's fun. And yeah, I, I just, it made me happy. Nice. Awesome. Uh, for me, I have to go with uh, the classic Pure Imagination. Mm. I just, you can hear, you can hear two notes of that song and you know exactly what it is. Yes. Even as you who didn't see the movie, when they played the overture over the opening credits, you started singing the song. I did. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit, maybe she did see it. And then <laughs> uh, I was like, well, she also thinks it's not a musical. So. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't know. My uh, memory's weird. Yeah, I just love Pure Imagination. I think it just fits. It's it's the first, It's the only song Willy Wonka sings. It's right after we just met him. We see this amazing world just open up to us for the first time. Yeah. And uh, just everything from the composition to the lyrics, it was goddamn beautiful. I think that song should have been nominated for an Academy Award, honestly. Well, they, they don't nominate single songs, so the movie got nominated for Best Original Music. Oh, I see. Well, now they have the uh, the category of best original song. That is true, actually. I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe it was different back then. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. They add categories all the time. That's true. All right. Uh, I feel like this happens a lot, and I, I don't really dislike it at all, but I did pick the Candyman for my worst. Oh! I love every song, including Candyman. This does Candy. happen it a, happens lot. a lot. You always pick my... But let me explain. <laughs> the only reason I chose it out of all the ones is because I feel like it's the only one that doesn't really either move the plot forward or get you to learn anything about our main characters right it establishes the world and i, lo- I love the song i'm not trying to say like it's all oh, i shouldn't have put it in there <laughs> but i just feel like everything from cheer up charlie teaches you about him imagination is willy wonka's you know thing of the world i'll never talk bad about the oompa loompa songs mm-hmm. all four of them are goddamn amazing yeah the veruca song you're learning about her so like this specific Candyman isn't really part of the movie. It's not plot driven. Like, yeah, if if basically gun to my head, if I had to cut one, I think I would cut that in terms of making the movie not lose anything in like a narrative. <gasps> well, sense. that makes it harder. I wasn't thinking in terms of like cutting the song. I wasn't either. I'm just saying, like, because it was hard to pick a worse because I love the song. I yeah. think it's fantastic and I love it in the movie. But I, it's the rules we made where we have to pick a worst. So right. I was just like, all right, if I. And I just tried to picture the movie without any other song. And I was like, no, you need Cheer Up Charlie, you need World Imagine, you need I Got a Golden Ticket, you need all, you know, like, they're just, they're so necessary to the plot. I'm just laughing over here because I picked Cheer Up Charlie as the worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go for it. Again, I didn't pick it as the, I think it's a necessary song. Yeah. I just picked it as the worst because it made me the saddest. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> I wish you could see my face, people. <laughs> The purpose of the song is to make you sad. I know. That means it's but a good I was song. So happy. <laughs> that means it's a good song. <laughs> if if it, if you listen it, to Candyman and that made you sad, then that means they fucked up the song. <laughs> you know, but if if you if you got the the, the feeling that the movie was trying okay, to give you. Listen, as a, I could see myself I'm putting myself in the shoes of like watching this as a kid uh-huh. and not knowing what this movie was going to be okay. and being like, man, like this movie's depressing. He's not going to get that ticket. You know, like it just. But that makes you so happy when he gets the ticket. I know. Do you remember how shitty the remake was? None of that happened. The narrator tells you in the first sentence that he's going to get the ticket and then you just have to sit there and watch this fucking kid bumble around All I'm saying, and then get a ticket. I'm I'm saying the song is successful. I'm just saying that I picked it as my worst not because I don't like it. It's just, it made me the saddest, and I want to be happy, all so right. it's my worst. All right, all right. <laughs> it's subjective. I can't argue with, I can't argue with, 
All right, what's your next bit? <laughs> <laughs> that was a heated discussion yeah. right now. <laughs> I just started getting hot because I was thinking about the Tim Burton movie again. <laughs> Friggin' Tim Burton! Oh, man. Okay. You were the chosen one, Tim Burton. What happened <laughs> to you? <laughs> okay. Best worst functional candy. Ooh, nice. I almost put that uh, one, and then I didn't, but I'm glad that you picked it. Cool. You can go first. I have to think for a second. I actually do think that the fizzy drink was, like, my favorite. Yeah. I don't think the purpose of it was to float, was it? It, it was, really but okay. I think you were supposed to control it better. I don't uh, think you were supposed yes. to just float right to the sky. Oh, cool. But, yeah, that was my favorite one. Nice. I would buy that yeah. if I were in that world. That's, Abs- that 100%. Is, that is a pretty great one. As a kid, it was definitely Everlasting Gobstopper because the idea of it blew my mind. But mm-hmm. now, I was literally just thinking about the logistics of like how like dirty that candy would get. Because like you know, you're done sucking it, you got to take it out of your mouth. Now it's all wet and sticky. You put it down somewhere, it's gonna like pick up. It reminds shit. me of a jawbreaker. Yeah, yeah. The way you'd like remember you'd put those in plastic with, like to finish it, and then later yes. the plastic would get stuck to it. Yeah, it and gross. like all the colors would be like d- like left on the plastic, and it was like never as fun to like go back and start eating it a second time. Yeah. So yeah, this time I was just thinking, I was like, and they're all just putting these loose jawbreakers in their pockets like that thing's gonna get fucking gross the girl who loves the chewing gum probably would be like the number one customer yeah so i think i'm gonna go fizzy drink too like once that thing is fixed the gum thing sounds interesting but also i don't know uh it could be a little weird having like tomato soup flavored gum and roast beef flavored gum yeah although the way they sold it it's like it was so realistic that you didn't even realize you weren't eating it Uh uh-huh so i guess that would be pretty cool but yeah fizzy drink i mean yeah. I would just use it to like fly to the train, you know, like <laughs> just so I don't have to wait for like for the street, you know, to fly over the cars so I don't have to wait <laughs> for red lights. That's hilarious. <laughs> the, the reasons why you would use it. Yeah. Um, you can't burp though, so good luck. Um, well, they would have fixed it by then. Yeah, that's true. And then by your worst. Probably the exploding candy, but he did say it is for your enemies, so it's not like <laughs> you're supposed to eat it yourself and fly through the air. Right. But maybe the exploding candy. Oh, man. Beyond the credits, uh, spoiler, maybe that is, like, used in war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Willy Wonka gets into the trading business. <laughs> um, are you stalling because you forgot to think of a worst? No. Okay. I put the boat. It's not a functioning candy. I thought he said it was edible. Wait, which one? The one that shot foam all over them? No, the other one. That where the scary stuff happens. No, that's not an edible oh, boat. Oh, never mind. So, stalling begins. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> <laughs> you made the parameters functioning candy and then you said boat. Actually, no, I'm going to change mine to the everlasting gobstopper. Basically, everything For I just worst. said. Yeah, I want to. It's going to be so sticky and gross. You can't carry it around. Like. Yeah. I, I'm going to tag team on that. All right. It, it, that candy totally reminded me of Jawbreakers. And I did get a flashback from, like, a flashback memory from my past. There was this girl in high school who would sell jawbreakers. Uh-huh. I remember having the feeling of like buying drugs because she would like sell it in homeroom and like if you had a class with her or if you didn't have a class with her, people would be like, yo, can you can you get Stephanie to buy me a job uh, or like can you buy a jawbreaker from Stephanie? That's so funny. That's got to be universal because you know, when I was in elementary school, there was one kid who always had sour Skittles and... <laughs> They were brand new at the time. They just came out. So, like, uh... they were the hot new item. And if you remember, I don't know if your school was like this, but when you were young, like, sitting in the back of the bus was, like, the cool kids sat there. Like, the oh, nerds absolutely. sat in the front. So, like, this this kid definitely, like, he commanded the back of the bus with the Skittles. <laughs> and then 
like buying skittles from him like like allow let he would then let you sit like in the last four rows oh that's you know hilarious. so like it became like this like crazy like jail currency where it's like yeah, you get skittles you can sit back with the cool kids like oh like so you have God. to like buy his sour skittles and all that shit that is so funny and i think his mom just probably bought like a costco pack and then fucking he would come in and sell them for like two bucks a piece oh yeah <laughs> absolutely because i remember being like how does she have so many and they were like the huge yeah. jawbreakers in high school too there was the tic tac kid who like he would just he would just always have like he would come to school with, like 15 boxes of Tic Tacs and people would be like, yo, let me get Tic Tac. Like, you know, he'd give you a whole box and you'd be like, oh shit, I got wow. the Tic Tacs. That's hilarious that you brought that up. Uh, no, actually, I changed my mind. It is not the Everlasting Gobstepper. I know I just changed my mind twice in a row, but worst one's got to be the lickable wallpaper because that just seems gross. Oh, yeah. Because you don't know who licked it before Ew. you. You're not washing it. So, like, how, like, you know, if, if you have guests come over, they can start licking the wallpaper that you've been licking all morning. I completely forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, that's my least favorite uh, functioning candy. What's your next best worst? Um, I did, so best worst, basically, the, those comedy scenes we talked about in the beginning of, like, random people looking for the tickets. Oh, you stole my next Nice. So that, so not not involving the people who actually get tickets, but the mm-hmm. ones of like random people we don't know, the comedy vignettes. Yes. Um, Wait, so best vignette or best person outside of? No, like the, the whole best like vignette, like the best like the whole scene as a whole is like how it works with comedy, all that stuff. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so my best one was the psychiatrist's office. Oh! <laughs> that shit was so funny. The psychiatrist is telling the guy like, you know, dreams are just a manifestation of 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 our memories. You know, you can't, nothing about them is not already in your own brain, so you can't get disillusioned by them. And the guy's like, but in my dream, the archangel came to me and told me where to find Wonka's golden ticket. And he's just like, tell me what he said. (laughs) But it doesn't make sense. It's just a dream. You just said. I don't care what I just said. like, damn it, man, tell me where to find the golden ticket. Like, he just, like, this guy's been studying psychology his whole life, and he just threw everything he's ever (laughs) believed out the window for the chance that an angel appeared and told him where to get the ticket. Oh, I loved it. Damn, that was going to be mine. Yeah, it's brilliant. All right. This was another one where worst was hard because I actually liked all of them a lot. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear your worst. Well, I'm going to tell you my best. I'm, I'm that gonna... was, you just said that was your best. It was my best, but now I feel like I feel obligated to choose another best. All right. So I'm going to go with the machine oh. that tell <laughs> as so my best. Uh, you know, I just love he's like, and now I'm going to ask the machine to tell me where the golden ticket is. The machine says... What would I do with a box of, ch- or like a, a lifetime supply of chocolates? Yeah, and he's like, now I'm telling the machine what he could do with that chocolate. Like, he's going to go yeah. shove it up his ass. Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah. I think his first answer was, that, that- would be cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, yes, it has values. Yeah. yeah oh, that was that a pretty one. great yeah, that, scene. Yeah, that's definitely my runner up. I love that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I loved all of them. So, again, when I say worst here, it's not really worst. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad, but only, it has one great joke in it. But it's a little bit long to get to that joke, so I say the auction scene. Oh. When they're just having the auction and all the rich people are betting more and more money. Yes. That's all right. Like, I don't think that's inherently hilarious. Like, but then at the very end, they're in London, and then they're all going, like, 500,000 pounds, a million pounds. And then he just looks over, he goes, your majesty. (laughs) Which means the Queen of England came to this auction to get Wonka bars. (laughs) So that joke alone is fucking hilarious, but the scene's pretty long to get to that joke. I agree. So it was my worst. That's a pretty good worst. I think my worst is going to be the news anchor. 
What happens with that one again? Well, it's kind of an ongoing, you know, they kind of use that to tell the story and show like around the world people getting the golden ticket. But the one particular scene where he was like, he kind of, I don't remember what the exact line was, but he was kind of alluding to like, what else matters right now in the news? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty that, funny. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, But I, I just picked it as my worst because it's like, hey. Oh, nice. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of that one. The only <laughs> other one I was thinking of that we didn't talk about is the, the woman whose husband gets kidnapped oh. and then the ransom is the walk of bars. She's like, well, they give me a day to think about it. <laughs> like, that kind so of shit is good. so funny. Like, that's like Albert Brooks level, like... <laughs> Like, really clever shit. Oh. This is my husband's life! <laughs> How long will he give me to think about it? <laughs> Alright, do you have another best worst? Are you out? Did I take all yours? Did you steal them? Um, Stole them like Slugworth. <laughs> give you $10,000 for your best best worst. Yeah, those were pretty much uh, um, all of mine. Do you uh, have one more? Yeah, I got one last one. It's best worst, the fates of what happens to the four bad children. Oh. So, like, say, like, if it were to happen to you, best worst. <laughs> and they're all pretty bad, so picking a best is hard. That's funny. My best one had to be Mike TV. Um, because, A, he got to experience something nobody ever does, ever did before him, which is to be teleported across the room via television. Uh-huh. Getting his particles broken up and getting put back together. Obviously, I wouldn't want to be small like that afterwards, but... That's still some shit that no one's ever done before. Right. And it's also the only one that he doesn't go into, like, immediate life or death scenario. Mm -hmm. Like, Augustus is going to the, where they boil the chocolate, so he might get boiled alive. Veruca, you know, is a bad egg, so she goes down to the incinerator, so she might get burned alive. Yeah. Just becoming a giant blueberry just seems like a crazy body horror, David Cronenberg as shit. So I just... I wouldn't want to be juiced after, you know what I mean? Gross. So like, like from where? Yeah, yeah. So <sighs> they all just seemed like there was a lot higher chance they were gonna die, and he just seemed like he was gonna be stuck small, and like maybe they could teleport him back somehow, you know? Right. So so the fact that like everything, like you know, one person falls on a garbage chute, one gets sucked on a tube, like it just seems cool to be like, hey, I was transported by TV, as opposed to be like, yeah, I was sucked up a tube and couldn't breathe, you know? So <laughs> true. That's a pretty good one. I love how that kid was like. I want to do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, you'll be even smaller. <laughs> yeah. I think my best is going to be, I'm going to take the chocolate tube kid. Okay. Because at least you're stuck with chocolate. Like, you can eat more. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm just a little claustrophobic, so the idea of being, like, caught in a tube I see. scares the fucking shit out of me. Yeah, I feel like, what, he was going to be sent to the steam room or something? No, where they boiled the chocolate. Where so. they boiled the chocolate. I, I like heat. <laughs> okay. Best scenario out of all. I mean, of them. he survived, so it doesn't actually happen. But yeah. like, just knowing that it could happen. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. That's gonna be mine. And then my worst was Violet, based on what I just said. Like, I just like body morphing just scares. Like, you know, like I've seen the fly and shit. Like, I don't want, I don't want all of a sudden like my body to change like that. Like, it would scare the fucking yeah. shit out of me. I just get fatter and fatter and bluer and uh, bluer. I'm gonna tag team on that one. Yeah. Yeah. For and those then, exact plus reasons. in real life, knowing that she had blue in her pores and all oh, that. Like, I can't believe that happened. She said she also got uh, 13 cavities from all the gum <gasps> she was chewing throughout the movie. No way. Because she had to chew every single time she was on camera. They didn't give her sugarless gum? I guess not. Did they even have that in 71? Who the uh, fuck knows? true. Do you like some gum? Oh, is it sugarless? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's not. Oh, then no thanks. What the hell was that? 
You know, on second thought, gum would be perfection. All right, so if you don't have any more best worst, uh, I think we should go and do a little beyond the credits. To the credits and beyond. I actually did the thing we do sometimes where I did like a forced sequel because I feel like the movie ends in a way where there's not really a lot of like guessing as to what happens next. It's very like straightforward. Cool. So like my, my traditional answer is just that Charlie moves his whole family into the factory and then over, as he gets older, he learns from Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka eventually retires, and he becomes the next Willy Wonka. Okay. It's not a lot of mystery. Like, you know, that's kind of what the movie tells you happens in a way. Yeah. So uh, I didn't find there was a lot of room for creativity. So I, I I played the game where we said, like, someone's making you write a sequel to Willy Wonka. You have to come up with a premise, you know? Mm. Um, but what did you write down before I do that? Um. Yeah, I, I wrote down that moving forward, this is the tradition in which somebody takes over the Willy Wonka factory. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also, I don't know why I wrote this down, but I wrote that Charlie ends up inventing a candy that makes his grandfather live just a bit longer than he should have. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like that's his pal. That's his buddy, right? Like, uh-huh. he's the closest to him, even closer than he is to his mom, it seems. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Um, I just felt like he wanted to he would out of all the like crazy candies and functions that exist in this factory i just feel like there's one that might exist that make people like stronger than they are yeah. or whatever so cool. all right uh do you want to hear my forced sequel yeah all right so again i don't think this is a good idea and i don't think they should make this movie but i'm saying if i had to if i okay. had to come up with something keep in the same vein so i would think that all the parents of the kids that that all got shit on basically like the, the other four kids yeah they start going to like the press and everything and telling them about wonka's factory and like the bad things that happened to them there mm-hmm. and he basically gets like kind of like smeared in the public a little bit and like his reputation kind of goes down to an extent and then all those parents are so mad at him that they do actually end up finding the real slugworth and giving him the everlasting gobstoppers Ooh. so then that last slugworth's company start rising a bit and being like a real rival to willy wonka where he makes kind of his own factory and then Wonka and Charlie have to, like, work together to, to, like, both come up with new products, but also, like, basically share the magic of the factory, but with, like, the whole world mm-hmm. to kind of, like, re, re-get the good name of the Wonka factory back. That's really cool. So I like that's that. That's what I came up with. I like that you add, added the aspect of having to open up to the entire world. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely, it. and if it was modern days, then he would have gotten canceled on Twitter because they would have went on Twitter to talk about him. But since it's not Twitter days, that's it would so have to funny. be happening in the newspapers, like muckraking type shit. I totally think that Slughorn steal. Slugworth. Slug. <laughs> I keep thinking about Harry Potter. <laughs> I really think Slug. Dudley would come into play <laughs> yeah. on this one. Ooh, going off of, um, what's her name? Valerie? Violet? Going off of Violet. Violet, you're turning Violet. <laughs> oh, no, not Violet. The the picky one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Veruca. Going off of Veruca potentially being Dudley's mom, imagine like a Willy Wonka, Harry Potter co- like collab and that's, sequel. That's how he does all the stuff. He's actually a wizard. Yeah. But like he left. He went to live with the muggles, but like he has to keep it under wraps. That's why he he's doesn't... behind the chocolate frogs and yeah. all the fun candies in the oh. Harry Potter world. Yeah. Yo. I'm into it. <laughs> that is so cool. 
Uh, oh my god, Charlie's not 12 yet, so he actually ends up getting a letter from Hogwarts, <laughs> and then it becomes this whole thing. And then he finds out that, that Willy Wonka's like a disgraced wizard, because he left the wizarding world to go live with the muggles, and he still uses magic. Yeah, to and make candy And for they're the just muggles. waiting for him to fuck up. And because like he's doing a great job of keeping it under wraps, but yeah. like it, the second he shows muggles that magic exists, they're gonna come and send them to Azkaban. Oh, yeah. All right, we're nerding out. <laughs> this, is, this is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god! What if Slughorn's a oh, Slughorn? What if Slug? What's his name? Slugworth. Slugworth. What if Slugworth's a wizard too? <laughs> All right. Sorry. All right. That's so much fun. <laughs> oh man. So we've. We've gone through the songs, we've gone through the characters, we've gone through the wilder of it all. But now, Masha, there's only one thing left to discuss. Oh, man. And that's Oompa Loompa, <laughs> Doompa Dee Doo, Do You Love What I Do Too. I love it. So... I can't believe this movie was a musical. <laughs> <laughs> that already gets me halfway there. I feel like I could be like, it's a musical about Auschwitz, and you'd be like, ah, oh, it's some sad about Auschwitz, but I love musicals. <laughs> so it I will say I was taken by surprise how funny this movie was, as I already mentioned, and how how the jokes hold up and how the tech holds up. Yep. The production holds up. I can't believe how much I love this movie. <laughs> ah, yes. I really, <laughs> I really do. I was not expecting. And this is the first time that I'm like, yeah, I 100% love this movie. <laughs> I didn't have to question like what my definition of love was. I love the music. I love the cast. And I love the script. Yeah. I love the production. I love the Oompa Loompas and their hilarious songs. <laughs> There's nothing I don't love about it. Oh, I can't yes. believe it. <laughs> I was so ready to grill you because you, you've been saying nothing but good things that if you ended up being like, I just don't know, but I don't love it. I was going to be like, tell me, tell me what you don't love. <laughs> I was I was defensive. I was going to come in hot. And, you know, after watching this movie with you, I was already confident that I knew I was going to, I was probably going to come out and say that I love this movie. Yeah. But then when you turned on the Johnny Depp version. <laughs> Seeing how much I hated that <laughs> and in my mind was defending the original movie, I was like, okay, yeah, I definitely do yeah. love this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like that movie is like, it's just, it's all the shell of this movie. Just there's no soul, man. No soul. There's no heart. There's no buildup. It's just. You didn't have enough confidence in your storytelling that, that you had to have three narrators. Three walk the audience through Look, you what can, this movie was. There are great screenplays with narration in it. I, yes. like, I don't think it's a rule of thumb to not use narrators, but it's definitely frowned upon. Yeah. It's like it's like you definitely want to try to tell the story on your own without having to have a voiceover come in and explain to you. Yep. But three different narrators? I was yeah. like, let's get the fuck out of here. And the music just sucked. <sighs> I know you only heard one song, but I'm going to show you the other ones after. Oh, boy. Ugh. And you know what? Like, I feel like the like the little kid who played Charlie, like he was cute. Like, I thought that was fine. Yeah. I just think that the the world that they built and the approach to Willy Wonka just didn't make sense. No, I mean, really, just to give it for the viewers, I think right here we should just play <laughs> ten seconds of pure imagination, the theme to Willy Wonka, and then ten seconds of <laughs> the other theme to the new Willy Wonka. Oh. Come with me, and you'll be. 
In a world of pure imagination Take a look and you'll see into your imagination Yikes, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's a grating to my ears. Yes. And one more thing, because I do feel like this remake chose to borrow some stuff from the original movie. Oh, yeah. So I was interested in the choices that they made and what they chose to copy yeah. or to bring over. And when they did do that, how weak it was. Yeah. I don't know, just the choices that they made and what they chose to copy and how they didn't like make it. It's what's really bad about a lot of remakes. It's where they they know you've seen the original, so they feel like they don't have to put in the work yeah. to sell you on stuff because they know you've seen it already. Where, in fact, that's where you should put be putting in the most work. Yeah, so you're like, well, we all know Veruca's a spoiled brat, so we're not going to put in a lot of scenes of her being a spoiled brat because we already know it from the original. But, the, I mean, all right, uh, we, we got off track, but... The the part that just drove me the most nuts was when Grandpa Joe walks for the first time in the remake. Uh, yes. He literally, Charlie doesn't even tell him he's going on the goddamn trip. He says, I got a golden ticket. And then he just jumps out of bed and goes, yippee, and fucking tap dances on the floor. And then it cuts away from that scene. Nobody yeah. says, holy shit, you can walk. Nobody, like, it's unrealistic in the original, but at least you see him. He's got, like, he's having trouble bending his legs. He stands up and he falls right back down. Like They put some struggle in Over there. the course of the Agvar Golden Ticket song, you see him regaining his ability to walk. And then this one is just like, like, oh, look, he's walking now. Nobody was like, oh, my God, I thought you couldn't walk. I thought it's been 20 years. <laughs> yep. It was never even brought up. And then at the end of the movie, they all have dinner together and all the grandparents are sitting at the table, which means they all can walk. <laughs> and then that's when Willy Wonka comes over and goes, I'll have dinner with you guys. And then the oh narrator goes, God. and that's how everybody. And then the movie ends. That's hilarious. All this to say that yeah. that watching, I you watched the whole movie. I watched, I watched bits movie. and pieces. I, I had to go to bed. I was like, I don't want this <laughs> to taint what we just watched, but... All this to say that it just reinforced how much I actually do love yeah. this movie. Uh, so It's a timeless classic. <laughs> it's up there with Wizard of Oz in terms of showing kids this kind of stuff. I don't think it's ever going to go out of style, in my opinion. Like, I think, you know, it's yeah. it's not, like, boring. Like, there's a lot of, like, you can try to show old stuff to kids and they'll be like, it's slow, it's boring. Like, this movie, fast-paced, colorful, beautiful, good message, funny for adults. Yes. You know, every actor's taking it seriously. They're not just phoning it in because it's a kid's movie. Yeah. Ugh, it's so good. I'd watch this again already. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'll be, pl- I'll be playing some songs. So hard to turn it off and be like, <laughs> like not be excited. I wanted to tell you so much uh, that's like awesome. that I really liked it, but I could not. I, I had no idea what you thought. I was <laughs> like, ah. So, thanks for sharing. Fantastic. All right, everyone. So that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have any opinions on what we discussed, follow us on social media at LWIL Podcast. It's a great place to find out what we'll be talking about next. And as always, if you have the time, please take a moment to rate and review. Honestly, it's the best way to get noticed as a podcast, and we would really appreciate any kind of reviews that we put out there. I'm Andy. I'm Masha. And I hope you love what I love. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Get out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a TV. Fuck. <laughs> I, guess I, the- I love that TV. <laughs> <laughs> Toshiba. How do you feel about this Toshiba? I grew up with a Samsung, so I don't think I love the Toshiba. <laughs> whether it be an appliance, a movie. A type of shoe? 